This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Pacific Rim Uprising. Crank up the Tupac. It's morphin' time. Now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review, then jump back to other film movie topics. This is episode 321, 321. Uh, damn, it blanks right now, but there was... Contact, there you go. PBS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really had to, had to reach for that one. Yeah, I don't know why I blinked. I love I mean, that show. <laughs> I just set you up for it too. Three, two, one. Like it, an episode that doesn't in, come in on. It's going to sound seamless. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, for episode three twenty one, we're talking Pacific Rim Uprising, the rare sequel that doesn't have a colon before the subtitle. They're too cool. Yeah. For school. I mean, I thought I was. I was wondering if I was writing this right, and I was like, no, there's no there's no colon. I love pronouncing the colon in those things, but those it's just... weird because sometimes I do see a colon, but I, I've I mean, least, on the I, poster it doesn't have it. Uh, everywhere except IMDb, I don't see right. a colon, and IMDb yeah. does not count. So that's right. that's my okay. logic on that one. <laughs> this is important stuff. This is what matters here. <laughs> Joining us to discuss Pacific Rim Uprising, we have from the, the occasionally drizzy West Coast. He's ready to drift. It's Mike Dillon. Roar. <laughs> Hi. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today? Good. What's happening, Abe? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> that was I think that was like the first time a guest has ever asked me how I'm doing. I, I'm so I'm shocked and touched. He's the first one that cares. Oh, thanks, Mike. Hello. Friends forever. <laughs> are we are we drifting? Are we are we growing down? We're right drift now? compatible. <laughs> Mike, good to have you back here. Good to have you uh, for one of our most thematically rich, re, thematically rich movies we've talked about ever on this podcast. Uh, can't wait. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, we are talking Pacific Rim Uprising, but before we get to all of that, let's get to some show notes real quick. First up, a uh, new commentary track. Um, that will be coming this week. Uh, we plan to record it finally, our commentary track for The Big Lebowski. That is the plan for this month's uh, commentary track. It's good. It should be a fun one. We're going to record that on uh, this week and get that out the end, before the end of the month, as we do. Um, yeah, so that's a one to look out for on the old iTunes. Speaking of iTunes, iTunes reads ratings. Good to get those. Helps out the show. Helps other people find the show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search for Out Now here on an you can do just that. You can give us a star rating. That'd be awesome. You can even give us a written review. That'd be even greater. Yeah, thank you very much in advance. And uh, yeah, I think that's gonna do it for now actually no i would note this out uh we've been experimenting some contest ideas recently you know we have uh congratulations to the winner ricardo mm -hmm. uh we put up some uh we, we put up the chance to enter for uh, a digital a digital uh download code for a movie which was alien covenant this time around we have lots of these uh so any uh listeners of the show i feel free make sure to like the facebook page facebook.com facebook.com out now podcast because we do like to we not only do we put up the questions for our feedback section we also have to like we like to have these fun surprises as well such as winning a movie for doing almost nothing <laughs> pretty so, much nothing yeah, yeah so uh, we'll probably have some more contest stuff as well some off broadcast stuff i could talk to you about later i did get some some new schlag. I thought you were gonna say off broadway and i was like what yeah some off broadway showcase uh, cast members are gonna join us for some episodes it's gonna be great but no i i got Perfect. some like i recently got some new schlag that we can uh 
put into uh, in circulation. So we'll, we'll talk I about like that. This. Yeah. yeah. But uh, all right, what else? Um, that's it for show notes. So let's move on. Let's get to know everybody. Reach week, we ask each other a question or two. Try to set the tone of the podcast. I better get to know no, everybody. everybody. That was good. I like it. That was good. I have a question for you guys. Okay. If you had your own Jaeger, what kind of weapon would you equip it with? Hmm, that's a good question. Hmm. I mean, I'm a big fan of chest cannons, just from Tony Stark and also from Guyver. So I'd probably have to say a chest cannon. Okay. Can I just substitute for a bottle of Jaeger that I could then use as a weapon? Like a giant bottle? A broken bottle? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I would drink it and then use it as a, as, you know. <clears throat> I'll allow it. Good product placement, though. <laughs> <laughs> Still would, not a sponsor. <laughs> it, would the, it would do the job. Uh, what about you, Aaron? Um, I don't know. Maybe like a really big iron. Just, just like a clothing iron. Yes. I like that. Like, Does it have the steam? <laughs> yeah, it, the steam would be the the steam would provide like a screen in front of you, so you wouldn't know where I'm coming from. And then oh. I co- then I come out of the steam with the iron and just start start melting mel- melting kaiju faces and be like, oh, this guy heavy. Oh, yeah, and that guy he will just fix those wrinkles on his on his uh, shirt. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, he fixes wrinkles, but even if he got away, he'd still be like, oh. I got this permanent iron scar to my face now. <laughs> <laughs> he turns into Marv from Home Alone. <laughs> Would you need a extension cord for it though? I, I mean, I assume it'd be a powered by I the Jaeger. I figured it'd be like battery powered or something like that. Like Jaeger Tech. Yeah, yeah. future Jaeger Tech. Yeah. Well, also, if I mean, presuming like afterwards, after these fights, the Jaegers are going to like some kind of award ceremony for successfully fighting off some kaiju. They're going to need some tuxedos, so the helicopters are bringing like a giant ironing board. For the Jaeger to use the iron on to get the clothes all right. This is this is a well established idea you have. Here. I, I think so. I'm it, so seems, it seems I like you've really thought about this. I don't know, Aaron. I feel like that technology is better placed in the MCU because if you got wrinkly clothes, you got an Iron Man. Ah, uh, but um, he'll be here every week. <laughs> Not after that one. <laughs> Gonna be a long episode. Wait, I, I also have I also have a follow up question. What about what about tuxedo pants? You, you mentioned shirts. Are they getting robot tuxedo pants? That is a good question. And to, for that answer, I'd look to Futurama. Bender never wears robot pants. He wears a tuxedo mm. jacket often, but he, and he's never like putting on pants. Also, it's a great point. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of tough. It's classic Donald Duck logic. <laughs> Why does he need to wear a shirt if he's got no pants? Uh, I've got a question for you guys. Do yep. you guys prefer John Boyega's American accent or his uh, British accent? British. He's British. He sounds British. Sounds is, British. This, is this his authentic British accent? I think, I think Attack the Block is his authentic British accent. I, I think it's it's maybe a bit pronounced, but it's the closest I've seen him use his accent since Attack the Block, put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Saves the world, by the way. He saved the world a number of times at this point. <laughs> and so with star wars is like an american kind of vague american yeah and it's like right it's kind of just it's, it's a galaxy for far far away zero one two it's, accent. It, it's basic yeah yeah <laughs> i mean it's called basic that's the language oh, is that what it's called yes all the stormtroopers learn basic yeah hmm. all right fn whatever code name he is really building know. really building your star wars cred right there right <laughs> I know. I'm not I'm not a huge on it. I feel bad for all the listeners that think that I, I really know it. 
<laughs> I was hoping that you'd give me a lifeline. <laughs> no, I, I'm letting you just kind of w- waggle right here. <laughs> FN2187. Right. There you go. Thank you, Finn. <laughs> All right. Was that your question? That was my question. Okay. Um, we got our other question, of course. We have our poll question, which we'll be doing on, I know. The, on the podcast weekly. I didn't like this one this week. <laughs> it's a tough one, apparently. Although, it does, there is a victor right now. And yeah. I accidentally sent the end date to be way later than I intended. So it's going to actually probably keep going for a little while or longer. <laughs> I, I think you can can't, can't you you just can't, end it yourself. You can, I can try, but I've been, I was looking on how to edit it. You can't edit it after it's already been voted That's okay. on. So. That's okay. We so know what the answer we'll is. We'll see what sticks out here. But the So we've been doing these poll questions on the OutNow page, fan, uh, Facebook page for the past few weeks here. It's been a lot of fun to do because it's movie death matches, where essentially I put two movies that are somewhat somewhat linked in some way either it's the theme of the, uh, this week's episode or what have you and you vote for the one that you want to save by doing that however the one that you do not vote to save is erased from existence entirely as in this movie <laughs> no longer exists and everything associated with it does not exist either the director's paths change careers are altered perhaps pop, perhaps pop culture changes if there's any kind of things that are associated with said movies and what have you so you know things happen based off the choices you make here and so for this week um, I thought about kind of saving the world type situations with a ragtag crew, and so I put together Edge of Tomorrow versus Serenity, the spin- mm-hmm. the Firefly spinoff film. Um, so w- with that in mind, Mike, w- what would you pick between these two? To save. So the one I don't save is Erased from Existence? Yes, and in this, yes. in this particular case, Serenity, that would mean that Firefly would get erased as well. But Firefly comes first, right? Yes, but because I I understood that, I figured, well, I'm going to add a new wrinkle to this one and say Firefly also gets erased if you erase Serenity. Wrinkle in time. So so let me think through the consequences here, right? So if you erase Serenity and the show, that's a Joss Whedon project, It's his first. Right, yeah, it's Joss Whedon. His first directorial effort, yeah. That would presumably have a bigger impact on the kind of pop culture landscape as we know it because he may not go on to do Avengers, or would he still go off and do it? Well, I mean, that's a hypothetical. And we're not sure at this We're point. not sure, but I would I would wager to say a director that has no prior films would probably not direct the Avengers movie. Mm. I feel like relegating him, erasing Firefly, and therefore relegating him to forever be known as the guy who wrote Alien Resurrection is maybe a little cruel. And... Um... <laughs> But I, I love me some Edge of Tomorrow. I know. That's why this is I a know. fun pull. It's rough. It's rough. Although, I mean, Tom Cruise will be fine. See, yeah, that's, he's been fine. I'll, yeah, I'll, talk, is... I'll talk this through as well, because that's my basic logic here. Because I, I would, it's easier for me, uh, because, yes, Edge of Tomorrow is great. We all love Edge of Tomorrow. But Tom Cruise had 30 years of movies before that right. where he was doing just fine. And if, the, if Edge of Tomorrow doesn't exist, it's not like he's not doing another Mission Impossible or whatever else. Serenity, meanwhile... Yeah, that's a pretty... I don't see Joss Whedon going on to much more um, as far as... Or at least not for a while compared to this. Like, if, if you take that kind of chunk out of his resume, it's like, well, he's probably still making TV shows that either get canceled after the first season or live on with a cold audience. <laughs> so it's like, I, I'm not exactly sure where he's heading, but it's not giving us the Avengers that we have. Some may right. that's a good thing. I don't know many, because people seem to love Avengers that much. But, I, I mean, it's... Uh, so... Wait, so- so follow-up question, uh-huh. if, if uh, erasing Serenity from cultural memory also ends up c- producing this ripple effect in the time-space continuum and we don't have Avengers, mm-hmm. 
or don't have one half of Justice League or whatever he did on it. <laughs> yep. uh-huh. Does that mean, does that mean it erases from our memories as well, or the, as the people who instigated this change, do we know? <laughs> okay, so, it, it would so, erase so, from so, the memory, I would so, say. So hold on. So now it's like it's like a village scenario where like we're just kind of pretending that these things don't exist. Like that's what you're well, that's what you're asking. Well, because I, I know about. <laughs> I would be leaning toward let's erase Serenity because I want to see what a world in which the Avengers may have taken longer to produce or can just gone a different way. That would be a, a bigger shift in our cultural status. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd be very curious to see what that would look like. But that's the, the, the interest in there is only insofar as I could do a compare and contrast. Yeah, the interest there is you're, ta- you're, you're taking away something that you already know is basically a net positive weighed against your own personal interest in what that would be instead uh, and, and i also have very little interest in the avengers like the mcu i, uh-huh. I follow it very very loosely and almost as like a cultural obligation okay and actively interested in it so it really wouldn't be that big a loss to me <laughs> well since we're not wizards and this really doesn't matter we're just talking about things why don't you just ch- you can just pick serenity <laughs> or i'm sorry you can, you can pick edge of tomorrow <laughs> i gotta rephrase this question abe so it's more clear which so one it's clear yeah because <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, even... I think we'll just change it to i think we'll change it to like what do you want to save which which <laughs> yeah. do you I, I would keep edge of tomorrow and there thereby keep scientology Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which has been strong for many decades then hey, hey what are you picking for this scenario i i you know after after uh you know, going to sleep upset about it the first net that i saw it I, I kind of went with serenity the reason is because of just what has continued on in the marvel universe and also the dc universe but also joss whedon's pop culture references um sure we'd lose uh, Jack the Giant Slayer from Macquarie and and a couple of uh, Mission Impossible movies, but we'd also lose the Mummy, which also had Tom Cruise in it, and that's uh, you know, that's okay. I don't Although, know if we lose bro, the Mummy. That's true. Dark Universe probably still happens because of the uh, I mean, it's, just it's, the world of of Marvel's MCU. Um, but you know, as much as I like those Mission Impossible movies, I think I'm gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah, Edge of Tomorrow seems like more of a surgical extraction like there's nothing tom cruise has done since that would have risen or fallen on the basis of whether or not edge of tomorrow was a success and, and given that it basically wasn't much of a success it wasn't much of a with, like it's, success. It's, it's, yeah it's, yeah um i mean yeah, that's, that's a tough question man well that's why it was easy for me because it's like there's just, you just, like, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just losing a really a fun movie that i really like as opposed to something that actually makes a shift in some way i like the i like the idea of mike's where mike's taking it though as far as the the interest you would have in how things would how things would shift if this did not happen but at the end of the day me, you mean in terms of like the erasing from memory thing not a, well, yes, but I mean, in terms of the direction the MCU goes without having Josh oh, Whedon helming the yeah. the Avengers, like that's no, they they, uh, they asked Christopher McQuarrie to do it. Well, I would be interested in that. <laughs> Regardless, uh, on the so the poll results here um, largely side with Serenity. It's sixty five percent Serenity versus thirty five percent tomorrow. It's uh, almost so, into the landslide. So people are saving Serenity, which people do have a. I mean, regardless, of, we're talking a lot about Avengers. We didn't talk at all about the actual movie that we're you know getting rid of, which is Serenity, which I do think is also a really solid movie. <laughs> As well as Firefly, as far as you know, the show that also gets wiped out from this uh, this poll. Right. <laughs> but no, good poll. It happens. Good to see the results. Good to see people losing their minds over it in the comment section. This is our strongest poll yet, and it looks like we're just going to keep pulling in more votes. So that's good. People are liking yeah. the polls. That's what I'm reading from this. So. I, I I love how people were just like, "Come on!" <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Well, that's how you play. 
No, no everybody. Right. Let's move on. Let's get out of, out now, quickies. TM. Each week now we will move to talk about the real inside the quickies. TM. I sped. I sped what? through. That was good. I That's liked good. it. Yeah. It's all good. You're, you'll you'll keep up, Abe. What other movies <laughs> have you seen recently? I thought you were having a stroke. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I started watching Wolf Warriors two, and I haven't finished it. Wolf Warrior two. Wolf is oh singular warrior. Well, <laughs> on this because on it's this just one Wolf site. Warrior. But the uh, the opening scene with this boat battle is ridiculous. Um, with all that being said, though, I <laughs> maybe we should do an out on nights on it later. Um, but the other thing that I started watching was American Vandal on well, Netflix. Hold, hold on, because we will we need to step back and talk about Wolf Warrior 2 more. Yes, I would be very happy to do an Out Now Nights episode on <laughs> Wolf Warrior 2, because it is amazing. And yes, that opening action sequence in that movie is spectacular. How does he keep his breath for so long fighting underwater? And it's done in like a one-take, right? Like, that's that's the crazy part. It it's, it's, it's like, wait a minute, he's rolling around and he's like, it's it's... I don't know what's it's a, going. It's a very, it's a very I elaborate. Know how they're doing this? It's a very elaborate one take shot, and <laughs> yes, it, it's yeah, it's it's. So pretty the question terrific. becomes: Do we have to watch Wolf Warrior One? <laughs> I told you in advance. You do not. Need, all you need to watch. No, 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 no. no. To, to do our Out Now Nights episode. Oh well, if you, I mean, that's on you. I've already seen Wolf Warrior, so it's, it's not on me. Like, it's only like ninety minutes or something like that. But regardless, yeah, they're they're very short. Well, I think Wolf Warrior Two is like is like Wolf Warrior Two is like two hours fifty. Yeah. What what I've said it already though is that Wolf Warrior One. The only thing you need to watch in Wolf Warrior is the opening like ten minutes of that movie because it has the best scene right there There's in the, in Wolf Warrior One. In Wolf Warrior One, yeah. Okay. That's that's all you need to know about like the kind of how the they act the action of this universe is going to work that's a good setup for it right there <laughs> the reason why wolf warrior one came up or wolf warrior two i should say came up was because I, w- I was watching pacific rim uprising and there's a ton of uh hong kong and and chinese uh action stars mm-hmm. that are in it and movie stars that are in it so i was just like oh well i kind of feel like i need to watch wolf warrior for no real reason other than that I mean, so there Wolf, you go. The reason should be Wolf Warrior Two is amazing and should be seen it's by all. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And also, again, I started watching American Vandal on Netflix because my buddy was like, "You should watch this. It's really funny." And so far, it's really funny. I mean, I told you this and... months ago. I know that's true too. Yeah, <laughs> Aaron did mention that to me when it first came out. I think. Yes. I think, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's what's, what I've been. Watching. What's my opinion worth? We've only been doing this show together for seven years. Since seven years. Like... Yeah. <laughs> This month, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We we never have anniversary shows, by the way. We, we did. We completely we completely skipped over it because it would have been like what, like four days it ago, been like March <laughs> like eleven or something like that, or yeah. I don't know. Okay, the the archives will know. So you started it, American Vandal. That's what you're saying. Yes. Well, it, episode one. It stays good. I'll say that. <laughs> They're getting another season with like a different storyline, which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Mike, have you seen any other movies recently? Uh let's see. Well, I've been I've been raving to everyone I meet about uh, Armando Iannucci's Death of Stalin. Great yeah. movie. That's like my favorite movie of the year so far. I probably um, I put it up there. That's for sure. It's really good. Yeah. So go watch that. Um, yeah, I'm an enormous fan of everything he touches, and so I am um, too. Yeah. I, yeah, I went in knowing I'd love it, and I did. And so that's about it. I can't think of much anything else. Nothing new. Fair uh, yeah, the okay. last Netflix show I did uh, in full was uh, Altered Carbon. Okay, is, yeah, um, with uh, RoboCop's Joel McKinnon. It's uh, it's not it's not great. Okay, it's it's 
really derivative of everything cyberpunk you've ever seen. Yeah. Most notably Blade Runner, but also Touch of Minority Report, Touch of uh, Ghost in the Shell, Johnny Harmonic, t- Touch of everything, and so okay. Ghost in the Shell, of course, yeah. So it's it's you know kind of a it's very watchable trash, but it's it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. I thought myself really kind of bored by it, okay. but no, I stuck through. I, I stuck with it, and it was all right, I guess. If you like that world, or if you like that kind of production design. It's maybe worth a look, but, you know, I won't be back for a season two if there is one, I don't think. Mm. All right. Uh, I've seen a number of things that I want to get into. Uh, First is one thing that we will do an extra show on at some point, which is Isle of Dogs, the new Wes Anderson film. Um, I won't get too far into it. I'll just say I like movies. I I like movies that Wes Anderson makes. Um, Me too. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, we'll 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 get an extra episode in here some at some point because I know there's a lot of stuff coming out. So we'll see where we can squeeze that in. Um, I've watched a number of other things though. Um, Speaking of Netflix, I did finish Jessica Jones season two. Okay. um, Which I think is quite good. Um, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage have been my favorite of these Marvel Netflix series. and I think this second season of Jessica Jones, what it lacks in uh, the, you know, the, the kind of, the, you had the, what the purple man, uh, the villain from the first season, um, tenant, David Tennant. Uh, this one has, you know, it has to go a different direction, but what I like is that it, it takes the events of the first season and make, and keeps them relevant throughout this one, as far as Jessica Jones's state of mind. Um, okay. And what I also appreciate is that the, the series, Compared to like Daredevil or Iron Fist, um, there's not a, <laughs> it's not an action show. Um, it very much is a kind of a, a mystery drama, and it takes that to heart. It doesn't kind of there's there's not much action in this whole series, which I right. sure probably will annoy some people. But you know, people like me, they're like, yeah, this is what the show should be, and not just kind of inserting action sequences. I appreciated that's what it was doing. It's still too long. There's no reason these Marvel shows need to be 13 episodes compared to 10 or eight or. Right. Less, um, but it, this still ranks high among these seasons that we see. I, I think that's a good head on its shoulders of what it's trying to do and filling out that time compared to some of the other ones that I think go way too long. Um, so yeah, that's there. That's on Netflix now. Um, I also watched. Um, oh, what was the other thing? I watched the uh, the film um, that came out this weekend. Uh, Anna and I saw this with her family. Paul, Apostle of Christ. Um, Guess you say. This is, uh, it is a biblical drama um, from Sony compared to Pure Flix. Um, It's like, it's a Sony produced one. From Sony? Interesting. Now they've done these too. They've done, they've been kind of running these at the same time um, Uh to somewhat greater box office results, if that matters. But this one concerns uh, 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 Paul, who was once Saul, (laughs) who was uh, imprisoned by Nero, uh, Emperor Nero during the Roman Emperor. Empire and eventually told his story to Luke when it became this whole thing in the Bible. I to say this right now, I'm not a studier of the Bible. I was um, like, wow, you really know this. I don't. I don't. So, so here's the thing. So here, no, here's the thing. I don't know this story very well. Um, yeah. I I am Jewish. I don't I don't have this information on me. Um, so it was <laughs> it was interesting to me to see what this movie was trying to do. And yeah. from what I've you know kind of read, uh, there is a larger story involving involving uh, Saint Paul. 
um, as far as the things that he did leading up to where this movie takes place. So this movie takes place where he's in prison the whole time and he's being sentenced. To, he's been sentenced to death, and so you have Jim Caviezel, which is neat. JC cat. himself. Yeah. He, well, yeah, because it's it's interesting casting because he plays Saint Luke, but of course he played uh -huh. Jesus in Passion of the Christ. So it's a neat like like we're keeping the kind keeping kind of Jesus's presence in this movie by having Jim Caviezel here, even though he's playing a different character. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is that a symptom more of his being typecast at this point? Or well, I mean, Jim Caviezel is a very conservative Christian. That's, that is his kind of, his, oh, really? his, his identity. Yes. That, that is who he is. And, and that's, you know, he signs on to these kind of films and that's you know perfectly fine for him. If it's worth what he wants mm. to do. Um, but what I, it, and uh, you have Olivier Martinez here as the kind of, he's like the jailer. Um, he's he's the pre he's the prefect of the prison that Paul is in, and for movies like this, um, what I like about this film is that it actually provides a good discussion between people that are of different faiths, and while these movies are movies you know movies of this kind, they obviously they have a you know they have a certain audience that they go for right. and those that that audience responds to and that's great for them. I think the the better ones are like these, where it's not about saying this is what you need to do, but more this is how we're interpreting this and why you should consider things. If that makes sense, like there's a there's interesting discussions going on that are cel that are it's cel it's obviously celebrating Christianity, but by the end of the film, its message is saying that people being persecuted for their faith is not a good thing. And that's ultimately what I can take away is like, okay, that's actually, that's a, that's an interesting message for this movie to be putting in. It's not about persuading you to join something. It's more about addressing a persecution just, that's happened right. as well okay. as it. Now the problem is the movie's kind of dull. It's uh, it's, it's too slow. Um, is it, it, how long is it? It's a uh, hour 48. Thing not total. terrible. It's not terrible. No, but it is. But it, you it feel is, the length? You feel the length. I think the actors are solid in it. Uh, I said Jim Caviezel's in there, Olivia Martinez in there. The guy that plays Paul is uh, James Faulkner, who's like a, he's a British actor. He's done a lot of stuff, uh, like a character actor, an older character actor. Uh, mm -hmm. But like they're good, and like it's shot in Malta, so there's some really great like like as opposed to you know some of these lower budget films like this. They, you know this one actually has some good production value going on. It has these nice sights, so it it you know among these types of movies, it's it's and I haven't seen too many of them, but this is some ranks fairly high on there mm -hmm. so, okay. so you know, good on that as far as what it's trying Why to not? do um and so it's interesting right i mean you mentioned that it, it may seem like an odd project for sony but at the same time when you say that the film is really careful not to proselytize mm -hmm. or evangelize that's not really their agenda but that's that's where the big studio ness of it is right they don't want to really offend anybody and so they're trying to uh play it down the middle and not make it like an overtly evangelical project, mm -hmm. just based on your description. That seems very much in keeping with a studio film as opposed to a smaller boutique. Well, it's like there's where are the other ones. The other one I, can, I found it now. It's there's like Heaven is for Real, Miracles from Heaven. Those have like what like Jennifer Garner and um, Greg Kinnear and those ones. And those right. are I think a little more overtly you know having like something to God, say. God is not dead. Is that is that, a no, that that's like that's Kevin so, Sorbo and like so those, I think that was like so, a little bit more preachy, right? So the, so those are the pure flicks films. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, like but, something like like The Shack with like uh, Terminator. Yeah, Sam What's Worthington. No, yeah. Sam Worthington. Yeah, something like that where it's like oh well I'm not really like I actually thought that that trailer was just like a straight up 
you know, murder mystery trailer, and then the music started to kick in, and I was like, oh, this is a faith-based movie, which I have no real problem with. It's just more of that, okay, well, now I see what the intended audience is for. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, having a studio involved, I can understand that logic, but also there's a way of handling these where I can appreciate how it's trying to do it more, not just because it's a studio, that, that you know, that helps and give it the, you know, leeway to have, you know, better actors or whatnot, but there's also... You know, the more you, especially something like this was like essentially a period drama, um, the more you stick with the movie you're making as opposed to the message you're trying to send, the better the message tends to come across. Because uh, mm-hmm. it's not throwing it in your face, it's letting you gather that for yourself. So, it, you know, for that, in that reasoning, I think it, you know, works for what it's trying to do. I just don't okay. like it. It's not, it's, it's, it's not imperfect because of its messaging. It's imperfect because it's just not a greatly directed film. That's more as a film critic. That's where I, I, I have to come down on it as far as what gotcha. it's, where, where it's lacking. Um, okay. In, what else in, did you see? in exact opposite direction, it was Akira Kurosawa's birthday on a yeah. Friday. Um, he's been, I saw your post. He's been dead for 30 years, but you know, he would have been 108. Um, and so I watched high and low, one of his Ooh. very, very great movies. And he has many, many great movies, but high and low, which is a kidnapping drama, uh, with Tashiro Mifuni, of course, um, and um, <laughs> but it is it. Is, I mean, I've seen it before, but like his movies are so good, and when in that one in particular, it's, it's you know I think a lot of people associate Kurosawa with you know his samurai films, which is great. Then there's no wrong with that. But he does you know he has he has films from, that go all over the place. He has all kinds of movies, and this is one that's set in you know modern Japan at that time in the fifties or is it 63 60s early 60s um and as Toshiro Mifune as like a leader he's like the he's the he's like an executive at a shoe company a shoe manufacturing company and some and and he's he gets a call that his kid's been kidnapped now mm-hmm. it goes a lot of places from there there's a lot of twists and turns in the story but like watching it again it's like there's so much here that just feels fresh as far as how you're handling this genre of film that's like a thrill, a kidnapping thriller, and I'm surprised that there aren't more kidnapping thrillers that come out today that use utilize some of the same things that we saw see in this movie. Like it's weird that this is not one that there's not other movies that are derivative of this movie. Like that's how it's it's amazing to me that that's not the case. But high and low, it's it's so good. I watched it on Criterion Blu-ray. It looks fantastic on that format, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. They did a great job restoring it, and it came out like a few years back at this point. But it's it's such a great movie. Mufuni's great. There's a lot of really cool performances in here, though. There's you know there's some police detectives involved. There's the actual kidnapper that we eventually meet. Um, the filmmaking is obviously off the charts, but there's <laughs> I mean it's a black and white film, but there's some very notable moments involving what he's what Kurosawa was doing. I mean it's just top to bottom a great movie, and it's like what like it's like two hours and twenty minutes movie moves like there's so like it's especially like in the second like half it is a tight movie like as far as how it's going through certain amounts of tension and what you're kind of seeing and revelations that you're making like it's just a lot of a lot of good stuff going on in high low mike are you a fan uh so kurosawa's work i mean a lot of uh japanese cinema classical japanese cinema gets divided between what they call period dramas Uh which are your more sort of samurai based stuff and then modern dramas. And Kurosawa did a lot of these kind of urban thrillers. Mm-hmm. Straight Some On is another one, which I really Some like. Are, Some of them are pretty steeped in film noir. And of those, High and Low is far and away my favorite. Oh, nice. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, when you say you're surprised that more films don't uh, kind of bear the influence of this film, I was I'm wondering, because the film takes a, a really sharp turn midway through, uh-huh. and I think... I don't know if it's like right in the middle, but the latter 
half or so of the film is a straight up police procedural. Yeah. Right. And so I'm wondering, are, do you think fewer films than you would expect are using the films more the more kidnap oriented storyline or the police procedural I th- stuff? I think both aspects, because there's a twist that happens early on involving the kidnapping that I don't see that ever really in kidnapping films as far as <laughs> who the target is versus what's actually going on. Um, that's that seems I, like I, such that seems like such a simple thing to put into any modern kidnapping movie that I, I, don't, I don't really see. You're tiptoeing around it, I, isn't it? Kind of baked into the premise. Can we? I just guess yeah. It's the wrong. It's they get the wrong kid. <laughs> they, 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 kid what? They kidnap the oh, wrong yeah. kid, but then they're <laughs> like, but then the that, kidnapper's that, like, I don't care. You're gonna pay me anyway. Like that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's a so it, it it becomes more than just a personal stake. It becomes a moral question of right. Well, and because and I mentioned he's an executive at a shoe company. He's in the middle of like this giant deal that where things could actually bankrupt him and throw him into like all, all kinds of other critical situations. So it's like. The, the movie has a lot. I mean, there's a lot of interesting themes going on that still resonate to some way in today. If you really kind of pare it down, regardless, high and low, great movie. <laughs> it's, okay. it's still fantastic. Glad to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. that Kurosawa, he's he's going places. I think. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's on our cookies. Yep. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to um, trailer talk. We're talking about one of the newest movie trailers of the week. What we thought of it when it's coming out. What have you? And this week we're talking Deadpool two. Which now has a title that's Deadpool Two. It really it didn't have a, an actual sequel title until this week, but yeah, that's there's no clever subtitle. It's just Deadpool Two. Um, I will note, Mike, you've recused yourself from watching the actual trailer that came out this week. Totally yeah. fine. No opinions. Uh, but yeah, feel free to you know add in any conversation you want to. Uh, Abe, what did you think of the trailer? I liked it. I, I thought there or I thought there. I thought it was pretty funny, just the way that uh, Deadpool has made funny trailers in the past. And there's a lot of references to a lot of comic book stuff, like including, um, well, he says X, uh, is it X-Force or X-Factor? The X-Force. X-Force, yeah. So X-Factor would have been cool because I like multiple men. But um, yeah, no, there's... Well, you'll you'll love multiple men when James Franco makes his very R-rated multiple man movie he's been pitching about. Is he... Is he thinking about that, or is it in pre-production? I, I don't know where the status of it is. I just remember seeing it in the news. I hope James that Franco's it's just multiple man. talk right now, because I don't think James Franco's a great multiple man, but we'll see. People keep talking uh, about multiple man. Like, I have no apparent familiarity with multiple man besides a passing idea of what he is and having seen him in some comics and, like, X3. Like, every, everyone seems to be huge multiple man fans. I just like his power. I'm just like, I'm going to I'm gonna multiply myself, so am I over here or am I over there? <laughs> but uh, the trailer is is what the trailer is if you've seen logan if you've seen the first trailer um you're not really missing out on much i was kind of hesitant to watch this one because like professor mike dylan who recused himself i was like well you know i kind of don't want to watch anything else because i'm already going to go see the movie um but yeah it, it doesn't really expound on too many other ideas or show you too many other things except for maybe some extra characters in the X mansion. And, uh, um, it gives you an idea of what the plot is. That's the main thing. That, like, that's, that's true. Yeah. Even then so, it's still kind of vague. You just get still a sense pretty vague. Of like, I mean, I don't know who Ricky Baker is and why cable is looking for him. So we'll see how that works out. But yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, again, I, I found it funny just the, the way that Deadpool can be, um, sarcastically funny or sardonically funny and uh yeah we'll go for it i will say that i agree i like this trailer i 
I don't remember if I was the lowest on the first Deadpool when we talked about it on the podcast, but I, I know that I, I'm i not the biggest fan of the film. I like it, but I didn't love it in the way that it seemed uh-huh. to capture America um, and the world since it made giant, amount, giant amounts of money. Um, but what I like in this second one is that it seems to look more expensive. And by that, I mean it probably won't be only three scenes turned into an entire movie like the first one is. <laughs> um, you have director David Leach here. And, uh, Mike, I know you're a giant John Wick fan, so there you go right there. Um, you So you, you have a film that's probably going to have a really good action in it. Um, what's, what's John Wick? The director, David Leach. He's the co-director of the first John Wick. And what's that? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love me John Wick. Um about john wick instead of uh pacific rim (laughs) (laughs) we can later um but yeah no i think so you know a bigger scope i think might help i think that looks pretty funny as far as the humor that's going around abe you also know that i'm not a biggest i'm not the biggest ryan reynolds does his shtick fan so that is one of the things i did like in deadpool it's like well this is perfectly suits him (laughs) this is this is what he should be doing i guess yeah um and what was the other thing i was gonna say oh yeah uh just like the basic um Oh, no, I remember what I was going to say. Uh, when the trailer said, from the studio that brought you 27 dresses and, yes. <laughs> and Devil Wears Prada, I was like, that's great. That's a great way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, typical, again, funny stuff that they're doing. So, now here's a, here's a thing that we can, I guess. Nitpick? Kind of, well, not a nitpick, but a thing we can kind of delve into. Because, uh, we, you know, you get, the, you know, at this point in Hollywood, there's various pariahs that are around that are sometimes going to be in movies. Um, one of which is going to be in this movie and the movie that's coming out next week that we're going to talk about, which is T.J. Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, I clear, you know, the trailer doesn't have him much at all. It hasn't been like one scene, right? Um, and I know there was there was talk, not talk, but there was more of like, what if you know, kind of film Twitter going off, like, what if um, Deadpool two cleverly refilmed all of T.J. Miller scenes with Christopher Plummer because it'd be perfectly in line with Deadpool as with, far as the right. end, the end joke that will create. Obviously, that's not going to happen. But I, I've been trying to find a clever way to kind of say the cast list of these movies when these things come. So I figured we can we can start saying things like Ryan Reynolds, Josh Brolin, Zazie Beetz, Brianna Hildebrand, and Morena Bikarin, but T.J. Miller. But... <laughs> So you think like Baby Driver, you would say like Ansel Elgort, Jamie Foxx, John Hamm. But Kevin Spacey. But Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes because I was curious about that. We're sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was curious about the uh, the T.J. Miller thing as well. I mean, uh, again, he's a bartender in the movie, so it's not as though he has like a huge role in it anyway. But Well, I'd imagine uh, and, that. And, and well, he imagine... is toned down a little bit too, especially well, from what that, you're, you're used based, to seeing. Well, it's based off the trailer, which I'm sure they've. Right. They, no, no, I'm, talk, I'm talking about the first movie because um, he has not, some lines. He's not toned down. The, the whole his whole role in the first movie is to do is any to one in. liner possible. Sure, sure, sure. But it's it's not like anyway. I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm not explaining myself as clearly as I could. But it feels like he's not going full asshole T.J. Miller. Oh yeah, because he's, well, he's a side. Yeah. When when did they shoot? That's I feel like that's a factor. Uh, I, Obviously, 20th Century Fox is presumably having conversations about this. And if he's a bigger presence in the film than apparently the, the trailer seems to indicate, then maybe well, there's some yeah. decision there. I... But at the same time, like, I was just plugging um, Death of Stalin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeffrey Tambor. Yeah. Jeffrey Tambor, right? And, so, and that was shot um, a while back. And so, you know, 
I wonder, one, how much of this was in the can by the time we learned more stuff about T.J. Miller, but also, it, I, you know, the Kevin Spacey thing, I'm not trying to rank which of these guys is more awful than I the outside. Yeah. Uh, the Kevin Spacey thing was like immediate action needed to be taken, right? Because that was like right on the heels of Weinstein. It was the second biggest scandal after Weinstein. And so there was a lot of kind of momentum that led to that decision to swap it out. And I feel like there isn't as big a public outcry or public attention on T.J. Miller, right? So I, if I was 20th Century Fox, I wouldn't be feeling the intense pressure to do anything about it like I would have with Kevin Spacey. I think, yeah. it's, I think it's more of it's a hushed thing. Like, I think that Kev, Kevin Spacey, for one thing, is a much bigger star than T, regardless of who ranks or what have you, uh, which is not a doesn't matter um i think that you know the fact kevin spacey was like in a role that presumably could have got him an oscar nomination tj miller is just like the side character in a comic book movie i, I mean <laughs> and he's also you know he's not a he's not a two-time oscar winning actor either in the same way. like i i hear what you're saying and i would say yes it came out spacey's thing came after you know at a time when that kind of thing would be a big deal and it doesn't help that it's a you know a major you know, movie star, something like T.G. Miller is like, this is just like the latest one in a line of things. And it's less about, hey, we need to make a big deal about it and more about the reaction that's going to take place. And if I had to guess, I would say his character is probably reduced in screen time compared to, you know, when they shot it, they might have had it. Yeah. But and if I had to right. take it even further guesses, his character is generally, you know, a sidekick character that would say things to communicate exposition while being funny. So that's just, you know, you just put those lines in somebody else's mouth in ADR. Else, like, right? that's, yeah. that's, that's not a hard thing to replace. Deadpool 2, starring Ryan Reynolds, Josh Brolin, but T.J. Miller, arrives in theaters May 18th. So, quick question. Yeah. Quick, quick question. Yeah. The, there's a Deadpool 2, not a teaser, but the little short where he's, there, there's an old man being mugged in the street and he can't get his, costume on in time uh-huh. have you heard the fan theory that the old man is uncle ben <laughs> i have not <laughs> haven't heard that. that's, yeah, someone that's, that's that's funny but no, I, I hadn't heard that before um <laughs> that's funny <laughs> there you go i contributed yeah all right uh, all right. Well, let's move on now. To let's, let's stop all the fun we're having <laughs> so we can get to our main review for pacific rim Uprising. Your father always said he wanted you to be a pilot. He said a lot of things. I'm not a hero like he was. The kaiju. They're gonna come back. I'm not gonna be stuck waiting for someone else to come save my ass. Cadets, you better gear up. This is the way the world ends. How'd they get into our world? Someone let them in. Someone from our world. Who is that? Definitely not one of ours. Let's do this. That should have been some of the trailer for Pacific Rim Uprising. 2013's Pacific Rim had director Guillermo del Toro playing a lot of geek cards as he got to put out 
put together a fairly conventional story about skyscraper-sized robots battling kaiju, the film was somehow not the easiest sell as it struggled in North America to make a big dent at the box office. Thanks to China, however, the film was a, enough of a hit to warrant a sequel. Five years later, a new studio and a different director later, we have Pacific Rim Uprising. John Boyega stars as the son of the previous film's Idris Elba in this sci-fi adventure that once again puts focus on the Jaeger program, the institution responsible for human-piloted giant mechs to go up against monsters. Some new developments have led to both rogue Jaegers and the reappearance of Kaiju, which means Boyega and a team of cadets will do what they can to stop them. Mike, where are you in the Pacific yes. Rim universe? And what do you think of this movie? Um, I hate to be a downer, but I thought it was too noisy to sleep through. <laughs> is that is that a clarification? I was so bored. I can't even muster the energy to be mad at it. Wow. Okay. Um, I can report though. I saw it like just a couple of hours ago on a Sunday evening, and my theater was practically empty. So oh, that's the best way to watch a movie. Well, well, the thing is, it's obviously not the end of the, <laughs> it's not the end of the big things smashing into other big things genre because I know there's more of those coming. Mm-hmm. Rampage, for instance. Um, but maybe this is the last Pacific Rim movie we'll be talking about. I don't know if you have the box office data. I I presume it's performing poorly. It's uh, it was it's the, gotta... it was the first film to unthrone Black Panther at the box office after six weeks. <laughs> yeah. Um, but still, twenty-eight million, not the highest of numbers. Right. Internationally, it, it's, it's already, gotten much it, more. It's internationally, it's already made one hundred fifty million dollars. Still, still not. Um, we'll see where that performance takes it. But yeah, this, the ceiling right. I don't think is very high. Um, but I will be curious, especially given the very purposefully selected cast and you know settings and what have you, which much like mm-hmm. the first film uh, makes a level of sense, but also. You know, dictates where the you know where the eyes are as far as what where the successes were truly going to lie, much like the first film. Um, if I can, I say this: if I could retitle Pacific Rim Uprising, mm-hmm. it would be people shouting at holograms. <laughs> it feels like ninety percent of the movie is just people yelling into holograms, like they're the ones to blame for what's going on. I, I will note that when I originally asked you earlier like a couple like a month ago or whatever like what movies you want to talk about coming up you were very excited to talk about pacific room <laughs> wait wait by the way what was your, what was your take on the first pacific room my take okay first, yeah, yeah, first, of all, first of all so aaron invites me on and says hey what movie do you want to do and i said I don't, I don't know um what's even coming out uh reluctant reluctant pacific rim question mark <laughs> like good let's do it and i thought shit now i gotta go see it and uh Ooh. You said something along the lines of, I like a good robot but pat, but, uh, bashing <laughs> I movie. Do, I do like a good, you know, bash'em, smash'em movie. And, mm-hmm. you know, I like a good one. <laughs> so, I I actually realized about ten minutes into the film that I don't remember the first one much at all. I remember snippets here and there. Right, right. Um, but I couldn't, I was really confused, for instance, like John Boyega, for instance, does he end up piloting the robot that his father did? No, no. it's it's a different name, but it's the same model. No, 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 no. Stacker's not in a gypsy model at all. Gyp, uh, the gypsy dangers in the first one, which is what Charlie Hunnam and Rico Kikuchi's and, character there. Yeah, in. Stack. Oh, Adrian okay. Selva's character was in a different one. Okay, well, gotcha. Because they lay the daddy issues on pretty thick. I thought that was the logical direction to go. He has to prove himself in his dad's 
machine, but they never seem to mention it explicitly. So like th this is the kind of like level of memory I'm dealing with. I know I, I remember the interest of a, of a character and that he cancels the apocalypse, but oh, he canceled it. All right. I don't remember any <laughs> like the, the the names of the robots. I, I'm so impressed that you uh I'm a big fan of Gypsy Danger. I, um, yeah, I, I was I, like, I, I, I think that Aaron actually had like a summer where he just took Gypsy Danger everywhere and started. I took, well, I took, I took my Gypsy Danger toy to Comic Con and had it in the pictures. There everywhere. you go. <laughs> but you were okay with the first Pacific Rim, is that what? Is, or you were also on, in dislike mode? Um, I think I enjoyed it. I remember seeing it in IMAX. Okay. I mean, the first one is kind of charming, right? Um, it's. Okay, so so here's the thing. I what I remember from the original is not even the film itself, but people around that time pointing out how impractical this method of fighting monsters is. So there's a hole in the ocean, right, from which these deadly giants are emerging. Mm -hmm. And but rather than set up any kind of defensive infrastructure right there with sentry guns or some kind of net or Resident Evil laser grid, you know. <laughs> their, their plan is instead to let the monsters come out, swim to shore, and then wait until they're practically, you know, besieging a city before you deploy these giant robots to basically punch them in the face until they die. Right? Now, with the first film, I remember thinking that the basic absurdity of that premise is more permissible because the Jaegers are so, like, lumbering and rusty and their heads aren't in proportion to their bodies. And I think there was one whose head was basically just a bucket. Um, so they're these slow moving, impractical, stupid giants. And there's something really self-consciously silly and almost campy about that. And when you upgrade them as they do in this film and make them really sleek and shiny, because some of the robots in this one are like ninjas, um, you lose a lot of that charm that comes with the mix of high tech and weirdly low-tech or retro-tech that's so consistent in Del Toro's films mm -hmm. across a number of his, his works. And so this one is glossier and shinier, but... We'll get back to this like, point, because I know exactly what you're yeah. saying, and it, it, it's, it's more of a... It's a, direction, it's a directional choice. But, uh, yeah. It's I, pretty charmless, I thought. Well, let, mm. let's keep moving, then. Abe, what do you think of this movie? So to answer your first question, I... And also to, to enlighten uh, uh, Professor Dylan here, I didn't like the first Pacific Rim. Like, I, th I think I remember I, I was like the least uh, or I was like the lowest person on the panel. We had like four people on that panel. And, and you guys like uh, I think two of you super a lot. And then one of you was was pretty positive. And I was like, I don't know what you guys saw because I didn't see this at all because it's too dark. Couldn't see anything. Action sequences. I was like I was complaining that these robots move too slowly, even though even though we're kind of just uh, forced to watch them in their perspective of fighting these giant kaijus. Um and then you get to this one, Pacific Rim Uprising, and your memory is much. Um, <laughs> I, I would challenge your memory and like, dare you to listen to the podcast because you're much okay. kinder. But regardless, <laughs> uh, but it, it, with all that being said, though, Pacific Rim Uprising, you get to this movie, and I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about this. I remember we talked about the trailer and whatever else. So I go in there, and you know, it's uh, it's interesting to see this first. I guess, uh, exposition of where the world is now. And I was like, okay, I'm digging this. I'm digging where that they've acknowledged that there's just bones all over the place. Um, and then I, I liked that John Boyega was kind of cheeky and, and fun. Um, and I liked his, uh, his, whatchamacallit, his repertoire with, um, his cast member 
plays uh, Amari uh, Amara Namani. And then Scott Eastwood comes on the scene, and I'm just like, oh, this is not <laughs> – this really drags it down, and it slows it down. And they get to the robot fights, and the robot fights are actually pretty fun. I found it to be kind of cool, and not the way that uh, I was I was kind of uh, disliking the first one, but it was a pace that I liked. And what really gets into this, this movie's way is the number of characters that they have and the plot that they're going with. Because I think that it's actually a movie that I dug, and I would have rather had seen fewer characters uh, and maybe more robot battle scenes. But I was okay with what I was watching, and I had a good time. Obviously, there's a ton of plot holes, and there's like a lot of questions as to uh, what's happening and, and why these people are doing what they're doing. Although, when you really break it down, it, it's fairly simple. But still, uh, I was also in the dark on some details as to what happened in the first one and why, uh, you know, some certain characters are the way that they are and actually who some of these certain characters actually are. Um, but on the whole, I was, I was actually like, you know, this is actually kind of a fun movie. But the things that really <laughs> I didn't <laughs> I didn't really like as much were, again, just having all these, like, soldiers that show up, the, these cadets that show up, and they have really nothing to do except to just be soldiers there. But I liked what they were doing there. It kind of reminded me of some... Um, some uh, uh, Ender's Game type thing, even though they don't have as much training sequences. But yeah, I mean, the chemistry between Boyega and, and uh, Kaylee Spanny is is pretty good. Uh, the other people just kind of drag it down a little bit. So I dug the film, even though there was some problems with it. As you know, I'm a big fan of the first Pacific Rim. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's not without acknowledging you know certain flaws, although I would I scoff at anyone that says the fights were hard to see. That is a colorful fucking movie. Like, I've watched Pacific Rim plenty of times. There's nothing hard to discern about what's going on in that film. The well, only... if, you see it in, if you see it in 3D, that tends to darken things a little bit, right? Maybe. Abe doesn't go to 3D, so I just I just, I just criticize his bad memory. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, but I... Maybe Abe means it's dark in that it, you know, deals with apocalyptic and kind of... I actually, I actually kind of like that tone a little bit more, and it, we'll get to that, too, but with so, the themes. So, as I said, I like the first film quite a bit, um, even if it's... I, I would acknowledge, yes, it's, like, in the kind of the lower half of Gil Toro's canon... But mm-hmm. I, I, I have an admiration for what he's doing, um, the appreciation that he clearly has for anime, uh, kaiju films, various sci-fi properties, and how he's kind of rolled that all into one kind of giant fan movie where, you know, a giant film geek that, that happens to be a, you know, a very you know, capable director and has the ability to do these things was able to make that into a summer blockbuster about giant robots fighting, fighting giant monsters. There is a goofy charm to that film that I think really works. What my problem with Pacific Rim Uprising is, is that it loses that sense of flair because you've changed directors. Um, Del Toro's still a producer and a visual consultant, as I noted in the credits. Um, but having Steven S. Knight here, who I am a fan of as far as his TV work, because I'm a big fan of the Spartacus TV series, um, as well as uh, yeah, he did the first season, he was the showrunner on the first season of Daredevil. Like, mm-hmm. that's all well and good. I was looking forward to seeing what he'd do on the big screen. And while I have it, I have a certain affinity for the film, just based on the fact that it is still delivering an idea of what I like to see. And there's other one other major factor that I really enjoy that I'll get to. It's essentially a Saturday morning cartoon at this point. Uh, the The first film was like, you know, it had this kind of Top Gun ripoff plot going on, um, but it had a sense of mythicness to the 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 Jaegers. There's yeah. the sense of scale, what they were doing, that all. It's 
like I said, it has its goofy charm, but it also, like, the bigness of that film felt real to me. It, it did a good job of showing me what it means to have these massive things fighting each other in the space that they're in. In the same way that, honestly, the 2014 Godzilla movie did. Or I, I think it, regardless of whatever flaws you find in it, I think the actual depiction of giant things fighting each other in city streets works in a way that Transformers takes for granted. Um, this movie, like I said, it's a cartoon now. Uh, it feels like four cartoon episodes in one like move that are like all put together, and the last mm-hmm. two episodes are really good. Um, but the <laughs> but the first two do drag. Um, part of that's because Scott Eastwood is a drain of charm. Um, it, <laughs> things just drag the movie down. But right, also, right. but the other thing is that there's a lot of plot here that. Not necessarily unnecessary, because I do think there's actually some interesting things going on, but some of it's, like, involving drones. It's like, why are we doing drones again? We've seen a lot of drone stuff. It's like, why are we going back to drones now? That seems a little little out of date at this point. And other stuff's just like, all right, yep, daddy issues and things like that. The saving grace of the entire movie is John Boyega. John Boyega is fantastic in this movie. He, he is so good, it makes me convinced that he can just make anything work. Mm-hmm. I, I think he has he, he knows what movie he's in. He's doing exactly what he needs to do to make that work. He has chemistry with everybody, including Eastwood. Um, like they all, his scenes work every time he's on screen. I like watching him. If you put him in the Charlie Hunnam role in the first movie, you get one great Pacific Rim movie out there. Um, so, so it sounds like like we're on the same page, and I, I want to rephrase what you're saying, um, which is, I mean, how I would compare the two films is the first one despite all of its flaws and despite just how silly and goofy it all is, it still has this kind of geek cred to it. And you can tell that it's a real labor of love. Yes. Yeah. On yeah. the plus del Toro, whereas this one, this one feels a lot more like product. You if, know, it feels more like a cash grab. Like, I, I don't know if I would describe it that way per se. Maybe Aaron does, but um, I would describe it as, it, it doesn't feel like a cash grab. It just feels like it, it didn't have as many quote unquote real stakes as uh oh, yeah i would room. agree i would agree the stakes and feel slight because because to your point earlier mike you you made a great point of uh you made a great observation of you know it it was it's weird to see like these giant robots and they've got small heads it's like yeah because i kind of figured that they had never really fought these these giant or they had known about these these kaijus before but they this is like the first time that they fought them and now that we have seen them fight it's like yeah, well, you know, what are we fighting for here? You know, if I, that's I'll why just, I like Boyega's like blaséness. It's I'll, just like, I'll, well, it's over. Like, there's no reason to fight. I'll add, I'll add something because the first Pacific Rim, when that movie starts, it's at the point where they've already been fighting for a while. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's at the tail end of what they thought was near the end, only oh. for things to get worse. So it's they've, they're veterans of this kaiju war at this point when it comes to these Jaegers. Yeah, I, I like that we're all on the same page. That we would all. We all wish Hollywood would stop trying to make Scott Eastwood a thing. Well, yeah, it's, that's yeah, it's it's weird because because um, when when I finished the movie, I was like, I don't know if it's like the script or if it's Scott Eastwood because and then I thought back to it's his other roles. Like, <laughs> how you doing, Nate? It's Ranger Lambert. Are you having a laugh? Well, this is a military base. You remember how that works, Ranger Pentecost? And you must be a Maranamani. Yes, sir. Ranger, sir. Well, let's get you squared away. Oh, and uh, try not to steal anything while you're here. Did that haircut just call you Pentecost? As in badass stacker Pentecost? Pilot of Coyote Tango, hero of basically the whole world? It's just a name. 
yeah, really cool name. <laughs> you know, you watch like uh, Suicide Squad, and they just like cut him out, and then they all and you watch like Fast Six, and he's like also just cut out of that movie. He shows up in the beginning and then at the end. Well, he's, like, he's in Fast Eight a lot. Fast. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're trying sure. to they try to groom him into the Paul Ro- uh, Paul Walker role, and it's just not. I mean. Oh, it's 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 as if they said, well, we have Sam Worthington, but let's see if we can get even blander. It's weird yeah. because he's a good looking guy. And right. and it's like, you know, maybe maybe he's just like a back. Maybe he's just like a, a side character, like super side character. And let's not try to make him like the co-lead in this movie, because I agree with Aaron that when he's co-leading, like Boyega can carry the role, but it's just it's so one sided. What, what the I part can where they're eating ice cream or when he gets a peck on the cheek, both of them do. It's like there's just nothing Scott Eastwood can really do here. What I can say is that the movie knows to let him get out of the way. Like he, like I, I don't know, I don't think the movie's trying to make a statement about having him versus having these other characters because there are other yeah. characters that I, I like a lot more genuinely. But I do think the movie's smart enough to know. Okay, let's move him out so we can get John Boyega with the uh, the Cali Spaney character, for instance, instead. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it has an idea of how to handle these things, um, and the rest of the. Ca- I mean, we'll, like okay, so for, we have Charlie Day and Burn Gorman back as the well, scientists. Well, hang on, hang on. Like, Before yeah. we get off Scott Eastwood, though, did either <laughs> notice how? So I guess this has more to do with John Boyega's character, but uh-huh. how weirdly beauty obsessed he is because Scott John, Eastwood. I, I can't even no. I can't even remember his John Boyega's character's name, so I'm just going to call him Finn. Okay, it's Jake. Um, Jake. Oh, <laughs> I mean, he's constantly commenting on how good looking Scott Eastwood is. Mm-hmm. He, he mentions it multiple times, and later even talks about how gorgeous he himself is. And I think well, I'm not a psychologist, but I think there's clearly evidence that he has some kind of narcissistic personality disorder. I think that's clear from the setup of the character to begin with. I mean, he's, well, a, he's a partier that like tries to find things to better himself, and, and he knows he knows that he's the son of the uh, the greatest warrior ever, and he tried to pilot a Jaeger by himself. Yeah, but but the thing is that leads you to believe that Scott Eastwood's character and the little girl, for that matter, must also suffer from some kind of personality disorder in order to be so drift compatible with John Boyega. No, <laughs> I guess that's an implication possible. you can take away. Quite possible. That was a great point. Well, that, I mean, but... that gets into other things about what I think this movie lacks as far as the technology they established in the first film versus this one, as far as how important that tends to see. But I, I yeah. want... I, I, I do, yeah. That too. We can get to it. I want to yeah. talk about the cast, though, because we have yeah, so yeah. we have some returning players. Cartarly Day yes. and Bern Gorman are back as the scientists. Ringo Kikuchi's back in a smaller part smaller as Mori. Um, and then you have a bunch of new people. You mentioned Eastwood and uh, Cali Spaniel already. You have uh, what? Um, what's her name? Jing Jing Tian. Yep, yep, yeah. She's so like, she's like a, a. She was also in uh, Kong Skull Island. She was in Kong Skull Island and um, the Great Wall. Of, like, Great Wall. Yeah, yeah, Great Wall. Yeah. And you have Max Zhang, who is like this Hong Kong like fighting guy. And I was like, this is great, but he has nothing to do except for, like, lick Stern all the time and tell the, the Jaeger pilots to get in their thing. He was in, like, the Grandmaster as as the the guy who takes the, the martial arts to the killing level. And then he's also in, like, uh, some Ip Man movies. But he's, think, he's but just the a cool guy. Is he the military general? The yeah, he's, the mil- yeah, yeah. He, he's, like, the guy in charge of, like, their, their secret base. But I, I, he has I, a good "I'm about to die" reaction shot. He does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it, what matters is that they they have it's the presence of these things that make this more marketable. I mean, that's really what. It yeah, comes I agree. Down to. Yeah, I mean, and, it, and that's that's a hashtag representation matters. I was I was happy to see 
you know, uh, faces on here that were that were not just like American actors or whatever the case well, is. I mean, that's and you can say the same about the the first one as well. I mean, it's in it, and that's that's it's true. The, that's yeah. the whole idea. The idea is that these these kaiju came and that everyone put it's down a worldwide their, matter. Now. Yeah, everyone put down their differences and came together. So you have these international casts. And when you have Guillermo del Toro making a movie like this, yeah, he's going to make it. He's going to make that somewhat seem plausible by having right. various people from different nationalities coming all over to team up. And this one follows suit, except it's not except, but it's more even more focused on the asian markets for obvious reasons it was a huge for success. Sure. it was yeah. a huge success in china and other asian yeah. countries so it's why why would you you, you double down on that obviously because that's where the money's <laughs> so, right but, yeah. but i think that has an impact on it certainly had an impact on my enjoyment of the film because this new one is such a transparent gambit for that asian money mm-hmm. which see is that's why- where i felt your earlier question of like well what's is it a money grab it's like it certainly feels like a money grab for the asian markets yeah, yeah, but so I mean, this is a big reason why the Chinese company uh, figures so centrally in the plot. But it's also the biggest reason why we can assume that they're not going to end up being as nefarious as they seem, because they're simply not going to portray the Chinese as the bad guys if they want that financial support. You know, especially if they're counting on it for future films in the franchise. And, this and if they want, and if they want the movie to be played in China, so, so, yeah, they, so they, this film does set up a, a, a part three, right? So. And, very, very emphatically. <laughs> yeah, and at the same time, well, like, if it, I mean, it should, you, you laugh, you laugh at that. But I mean, saying that, setting it up emphatically means okay. That means they're not, you know, necessarily saying you definitely got to can't wait for part three. It's more like, all right, we, if you want to do this, we can. Like, I mean, what are you? More... I, I, I was, I was like, yeah, I do want to go see this, yeah, but, this kaiju world. Yes, but I mean, I, I would too. But at the same time. Is what's where's where's the cynicism gonna st- where, where does that go? Is it better to be like, oh, they're kind of hinted at something to go, or they're hammering down on this hard before you even know if you want to sure. part three? I mean, yeah, what it's it's the kind of like pick a thing to complain about because like it's one or the other in these kind of situations. <laughs> Can't we complain about all of it? <laughs> uh, but to finish your point, and and uh, this is kind of why I think it kind of gets in the way is because yes, you have all these actors that are international. That's great, but again, they just don't have a lot to do, so it really takes away, like, you have to show them as these Jaeger pilots within all these other, um, within all these other battle droids, but it's just, you know, as much as we've talked about, um, and we, we seemingly all like John Boyega's character, it's like, it kind of just takes away from some of his screen time, which is, uh, not a bad thing. It's just more that like he's the most lively guy on the screen, well, and uh, Charlie Day's damn lively, and Bird Gorman I he, think is damn really they, lively. Yeah, but they, they don't and, have as much like uh, you know their screen time isn't as much as like Jumbo because they're not because the, they're not the lead characters. Right, <laughs> he's right, the right. lead character. He's the hero. By the way, Bird Gorman, he uh, was he also in Batman Begins or Dark Knight? He was and, in Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, so that that's why I always like interchange him and Ben Mendelsohn for some reason. Because so. they played lackeys to Bane. In that movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, together. <laughs> I will, what was I going to say? Um, oh, I was going to say, um, we, I'm not sure how concerned people are with spoilers, but I think we might get into some aspect of the plots because this leads me to my next thought where, mm-hmm. Mike, you were bringing up the idea that you, you're not necessarily going to think that the Chinese are going to be the nefarious ones at play here because of the nature of the film. I will say that I did, I had my blinders on to that because I was genuinely surprised by the turn that it does make involving Charlie Day's character. I kind of was too. I, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. I wasn't looking out for like, oh, this is actually, I did think it was like, this is making it way too obvious that Jin Tang is supposedly the evil one in this, but it's like, oh, so that's <laughs> what's going on. Okay. Actually, I can get behind well. this turn. <laughs> 
And, and again, to, to get into Mike's point earlier, is like I the reason why I kind of didn't really suspect it from you know Xiao Company was because I had forgotten what that spoiler territory. Are we in spoiler territory? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Light sure. spoiler. I, I just didn't know what that brain thing was um, that he has in his home, and I was like, I can't remember what that was for, and I can't remember what it did. Yeah, I I need a a recap on that as well. You're asking for these recaps. It does not matter. There's nothing from the first film that goes. I mean, the the whole the thing in the first film, which Charlie Day does explain very explicitly in this movie, is that hey, Doctor Gottlieb, we you know drifted together with a kaiju. That's yeah. that's the extent of it. Okay, that's it. Because the movie, right. this movie okay. is pretty self-contained, <laughs> and you're not dumb. <laughs> so I, no, no, I, 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 feel I, like I, I could remember if there was like something that I had missed in terms of okay, well, did it did it incept him in the first movie or I something mean, like that? The only thing you need to remember, I mean, you don't even you don't need to remember anything about the first movie for this one to work because it recaps everything it needs to, and it has very it has very clunky exposition to fill any detail in. But I mean, you know that Charlie Day likes kaiju. Like that's his yes. thing. That's his yeah. thing. That's that's what it that's what it amounts to. You don't have to see the first movie to understand that he's a big fan of kaiju. Like that's yeah. the, that's the that's the takeaway from that. Um. So so yeah. he, but he's continuing to drift with one. Yeah, which is what turns. I guess so. Yeah. Well, not I guess and, so. That's exactly what's no, happening. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> So I mean, do you want to just spoil the big twist? I feel like we need to. Well, because he he turns into the bad guy. That's he's he's the he's he's been sabotaging everything. Yes, he's from... been he's leading the charge as far as making giving a comeback yeah. to the kaiju. I have to say, like, uh, of all the characters, I can't believe it's the scientists who are considered enduring enough to make them a pretty big focal point of this film. Um, all I remember from the original film was how unfunny I thought they were, especially Charlie Day. I don't, I don't, um, what's the show he's on? It's always sunny. Always always sunny. Always, yeah. I'm not that familiar with his work because I don't watch that show. But the one thing I remember from the first film is how much he sucks. I find forced comic relief really irritating. And I mean, he just overacts in this one as well. He's just shouting every single line. He's a bad guy. Well, I mean, he, I know what you mean. His shtick is the same in the first film, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just more exaggerated for brainwashing reasons of this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I have a, I have a question. Sure. So just to back, just to back, just to back up real quick. If you can't get behind yeah. him, you can't get behind him. Like, there's nothing to change that. I do find him funny. I think he's. A I find him funny. So too. I, don't, I don't. I don't have. I have no issue with the presence of his character. It's like, yeah, that's who he is. That's that's the guy he's playing. Yeah. Well, they're trying to make him the film's like self-deprecating voice, right? They, they, he's the movie's Deadpool because he's the one who throws his hands up and makes comments about the situation he's in, and he he he's the one who throws back to the earlier film um, in this kind of I can't believe this is happening shtick. But there's one line I have a big question about this. There's they give him one line that I flat out don't understand, which is toward the end. He's observing the final battle in Tokyo from some rooftop, right? It's the only building that isn't demolished, it seems. <laughs> and he very sarcastically says, oh, okay, so you're going to go with the giant robots. How original. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, it's set up in a way that indicates he's the one character who's sort of meta-conscious of the film's absurdity. The problem is that line makes no sense because he comes out of the Jaeger program, and even though he spends this entire film working for a shadowy corporation that is seeking to replace the Jaegers, it turns out they're replacing them with other giant robots, except that these can be piloted remotely. So he's yeah. still he's still completely in the business of giant robots. And well, no, I mean, that's presuming that he's, you know, 
in as himself, like in form of the guy that's working for the company and not the guy that's, you know, kaiju crazy, like he's supporting giant monsters. Wait, what? So is he speaking in the voice of the aliens? Is that what you're saying? That's my understanding. That's how I'm point. taking it. Because yeah, at a certain point, I'm possessed by kaiju yeah, drifting. Like, at, at a certain point, I'm I'm just like, all this is monster guy talk. Well, hang on a second. So wait, the, the monsters are called what again? Predecessors or something um, like that? The, the, precursors. Uh, the precursors. Precursors. Yeah. Okay. So if he's speaking in the voice of <laughs> the aliens, that makes even less sense that he would <laughs> dismiss the robots because those robots that you're making fun of have been kicking your asses. Well, well I mean, that's the whole drifting thing, though. They've, they're, they, <laughs> this is, so, wait, so this, is deep this, into this. This. <laughs> this is not a necessary part of this discussion, but like no. they've been drifting together. So they share each other's personalities. So they know, I guess the, the way they would, <laughs> the, the understanding of how they would, their kind of sense of humor, their, their soul, what they, whatever it is, that whatever it is sure, that, that so makes wait, them who they are. Uh-huh. What you're implying is that these aliens who want to destroy the human race and take earth for themselves are also, Super sarcastic about it? No, but they no. Probably. No, 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 Sarcastic hipster alien overlords. No, no. It's because they're <laughs> drifting together that they the 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 thing that makes Charlie Day Charlie Day is now being taken in by the kaiju. So the kaiju is picking up on the sense of sarcasm because he's yeah, drifting yeah, yeah. with Charlie that, Day's that's what, character. I, that's what I'm getting to, too. Meanwhile, such, Charlie yeah. Day is drifting off of the kaiju thing, and so he's becoming more evil. And so it's this yeah. kind of middle ground where it's Charlie Day's personality in the mind with the melded with the battle plan of the kaiju or the precursors. Yeah. But why would he say, oh, how original, giant robots? Like, because I just, thought it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of like, oh, I know that I'm in like this giant I mean, monster if, movie. If you, if you want to talk about goofy charm, this movie doesn't do it as well, but that's an example of it. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> all that I amounted that one to. Like, I, I had other problems of just, like what you were saying, it's like, wait a minute, they're going to stop uh, giant robots, uh, they're going to stop manned giant robots with like unmanned giant robots, like you know, this is a trope that we've seen many times in in many movies, and uh, it never really bodes well. Uh, but yeah, I thought that they're That's actually a... going to go into a uh, territory of whether it was, you know, like an eye in the sky kind of territory. And I was like, oh, maybe they're going to go into like the, um, the, uh, the, uh, whatchamacallit, the morality stake of piloted versus unpiloted but no not really no they don't but that's what that's also what was kind of intriguing me when you have a rogue jaeger initially where i'm like so where is this going because it's like yeah i wouldn't expect a kaiju brain to be the thing that's controlling this thing i figured it'd be someone else out there and then it doesn't turn out to be that thing it's like okay that that makes me appreciate what they're trying to do here yeah Uh, and i do like I like some of the fights. So here's my... I want to get to this, because I want to talk about the direction of this movie, because we lost Del Toro, we gained tonight. And yes, there's daylight action, but... And I can... I mean, you look at the first one, and yes, I understand it's set set mostly at night, and there's a lot of rain, and that's to justify, you know, things that are difficult to do. It's five five years later, it's probably easier to make this kind of movie now, Um, but I'll point again... I'll point out to once again, the first film has awesome action in it, Um, and I I want you to rewatch some of those action scenes and see how easy it is to say (laughs) everything that's going on. and it also it has weight to it. It feels like something's happening. I agree with the weight part for sure. Uh, this one, yes, it's in daylight, but it just feels like the junkier sequel that's kind of like doing the same thing, but doesn't feel as inspired. There's some shots. There's like a, a uppercut at one point where you see a robot going up the side of a building. That's pretty cool. Like there's things like that, but like I, <laughs> there's you're so, you're so easy. <laughs> 
that's what you came to see to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get on me about this. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yeah, continue, continue. <laughs> but there, there, there's shots of like buildings being destroyed or whatnot where it just feels weightless. There's doesn't feel like there's nothing involved there. It just I mean, feels like stuff's happening around it. And even the look of these, like, yes, it's in the daylight, but like I also see the seams here. I see buildings that just look like CG blobs falling CG, down. Right. It doesn't register to me as something that feels any kind of real. It just feels like okay. So, so the part of the weight thing that I want to get into is is some of the. Um, some of the deaths that happen in this movie, um, whether that be pilots or whether that be uh, some central characters, it's really just a bummer that they don't really go back and say, hey, this is what happened, or and we're, we're kind of going to sit on this for a, just a little bit just to talk about it. I'm not talking about, like, I'm kind of just more talking about, like, one cadet and also, like, some people in a city. Um, and I'm just thinking to myself, it's kind of a, it, it sucks that they didn't go back and say, okay, well, we'll go and it's we're sorry that this happened and we're going to rebuild because at a certain point they're very playing fast and loose with the destruction of Tokyo. I mean, they're just, it was evacuated. It was evacuated. Yeah. I heard that from, I (laughs) heard that from, from that one guy's line. It's just like Batman's line. You see some people go on a fancy thing. No, I know. And I also saw like, I also saw like 50 of them get smashed by like some guy's foot. Um, Very post man of steel, like throwaway line to assure us that the city has been evacuated. Which, Uh, which, you know, at least I think that care, but there's, again, I think I'm, I'm kind of just thinking to like one, one cadet where I was like, I didn't expect that to happen. But I'm, I'm kind of bummed that they also didn't really. I know they're it's they're the, very it's cavalier. The, it's it's the one cadet that you learn the most about. So I figured that out. Oh really? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, why did they give us all this exposition about this guy's dad and what he does for a living? And that's it's like that's oh. why because he's the one that's gonna die. That's exactly the only reason. <laughs> he's, like, he's the one that has the boat lift forever. I, I may not have figured I may not have figured out the Charlie Day twist, but I did figure out that that kid's gonna die. <laughs> yeah. Well, all that to say that it was. Um, it's kind of just a bummer that they don't they don't go back and say, hey, look, you know, uh, we honor those that are following kind of thing. Because for whatever reason, apparently all the Jaeger pilots that are qualified are also all dead. So I didn't know that, that I didn't know that they were taken out so easily. So anyway, so you you're saying the film is a little too fast and loose with the, the death that, of that's that kind of just like, yeah. Just, but that goes to like my problem with the movie in general is just it's. Um, like there's some themes in here that they want to play with and some themes that they don't want to play with, but everything just merges all together and there's too much of one yeah. thing versus another thing. Well, and so that's, least, that's really yeah, what takes away from the movie. There's no sense of like mourning the losses that are accrued, which really damages the, the, the stakes of the movie, right? They're just too fast and loose with it. Um, what? And then the fact that they would throw insert a throwaway line like, oh, don't worry, all the citizens are in underground shelters. It's like, well, first of all, no, they're not. We just saw a bunch of them running through the streets. And the, those, secondly, are, those are the leftovers. <laughs> yeah, but in the course of battle, they're constantly blowing up the ground and tunneling through it. So underground shelter is my ass. It, it's made out of vibranium, so we're good. Vibranium. <laughs> it's indestructible. What are we in? <laughs> Shared. But yeah, I know what you mean because that's that's always one of my concerns whenever I'm watching Andy's movies. Is I think I might have mentioned this on the uh, the trailer too. It's like just so much property damage here. This insurance is going to be crazy. Well, I have a question along those lines, which is, um, why are these coastal cities still populated? You'd think this type of persistent threat um, would not... provoke some kind of mass migration, especially if you consider that you know one assumes if you're sitting in the Atlantic Rim cities, you're perfectly safe. I mean, 
Japan is an island nation, so I don't think that they can really go anywhere that's not coastal. They've got or... boats. They've got boats. <laughs> Places. I would I would note that the film takes place ten years after the the apocalypse was canceled, <laughs> <laughs> which is why I like Boyega's mentality of like guys, nothing's we already we won. There's nothing that's gonna happen. I like I like the, that he was the well, cavalier. See, this, guy. And this is no, this is the weird thing uh, because there's a lot to associate with two movies. One is Independence Day Resurgence, I think for obvious reasons. Um, yeah. What I like in Independence Day Resurgence, which is not a good movie overall um is that it does address like what a future looks like post disaster movie which with, I, with like, alien technology which where they they, cool. inc- they incorporate the technology that was left over they do all kinds of things it actually looks like a developed future it doesn't mm-hmm. go too far with this only like the first like half first 40 minutes maybe kind of utilize that sense of thinking which i enjoyed i was like oh that's i haven't seen that before because you don't you don't really get sequels to disaster movies very often mm-hmm. and this movie kind of rushes through it but i like seeing some of that seeing like what life is where you're like okay we rebuilt these cities right and john boyega lives as a scavenger of d- dead kaiju and old jaegers and whatnot like there's there's stuff there it's like okay that's neat to see i would have liked to see more of that more of this kind of post-society yeah the the world building of of the first three minutes is pretty cool and i they just step away from it but i thought it was pretty cool too just hey would you rather live in like an expensive place or like a half broken up mansion with skeleton remains like the, i choose the skeleton remains the other movie that, not me but boyega does the other movie that they call to mind is ted 2 um really okay yes. these are the movies that i thought of no because i th- I thought ted 2 because ted 2 which is not good um is the movie that i think everybody thought ted was going to be which is this kind of dumb I see what you're just kind of at. a dumb comedy that seth MacFarlane made that feels like it doesn't have anything going on it's just kind of like what if we did this and this happened um i think it had potential it just didn't match up to it where the first ted we you and i generally really enjoyed it It was surprised to an extent but also it had things to do like it had actual things for the characters to go with it's not just random adventures um this pacific rim sequel it feels like it feels like that situation where it feels like kind of the movie i think most people kind of expect with the first one where it's goofy and just it's it's you know it's sugar it's sugar cereal that's all it is it yeah. goes away and to, it, to an extent it is but i think this this movie to me emphasizes why i like the first one so much cuz there's personality there there's sure. a charm there there's a director that clearly knows what he's doing there i wouldn't say this one feels like the knight doesn't know what he's doing but what he's doing is just not very inspiring yeah. it's, it's not it's it's nothing that it's it's nothing that doesn't it's it's nothing that feels uncommon it feels like when you finally get a Michael Bay Transformers movie that he's not directed, you know, it's you know just a regular Transformers movie. That's what this feels like. It, it lacks that person. Whether or not you were, whether or not you like the Transformers movies, sure. they have an Artura stamp on them. It looks like a Michael Bay movie. This doesn't look like anybody's movie. It just looks like Giant Robots the movie. No, That's I mean this, this one looks like it was formed by committee. You know, um, uh, uh, can I jump in really quick about this the the world building that goes on in like the first montage and then uh-huh. they. Yep. Yeah, I, I because I'm with you guys. I really found that interesting, and I I like the ideas introduced in the beginning, which essentially is that the aftermath of the war has created these new slums and these pockets of uninhabited zones that mm-hmm. produce a sort of permanent underclass of scavengers and mercenaries. Right? Um, the idea that these this new resistance are the, the, this new generation of people are the resistance potentially plays into some like 99 percenter politics that may have been interesting but what i find so such a bummer is that they not only that they abandon that kind of immediately as the action kicks in but just they they take these scrappy characters and make them conform 
And this is what makes, I think, this one so depressing, because in the first one, it's like Aaron said, it's basically Top Gun, right? It's about people who are the best at what they do, going out and being the best at what they do. Mm -hmm. This one is about young people who are recruited, in some cases, against their will, and being turned quite easily into these uncritical and unquestioning participants in this elite military institution, right? And so furthermore... It's like a bad Robert Heinlein novel. Well, so, but but like, to add to that, the idea that the producers of this film thought this is the narrative that would play best to an Asian and specifically Chinese audience, I think is really depressing. (laughs) Mm. That's an interesting thought. Aaron, I couldn't have put it better, because I thought that what you said there was was a very fitting end. Yeah, no, I, Mike, I see what you're saying, too. I mean, it, yeah, it, there's the narrative is not a high point and neither is the the way they choose to handle these characters as opposed to exploring other ideas or other ways. To right. Take it. Um, I would the only and again, I like this movie more than you. And I'd see what puts it in its favor is just there is a sense of energy here that I enjoyed. Uh, I think it it manages to while it, it skimps over the kind of deeper implica- implications of what's going on. What I liked is that it is a, it is a fast paced movie that's under two hours, which is not something I yeah. saw coming. I thought this would be a, a very bloated sequel and it works more by cartoon logic. And actually something I was thinking of was what Maxwell said on our, our wriggle in time episode uh-huh. where the kids that are watching this movie, it's not a matter of they're not into character development or whatnot. That does that's, Irregardless, the the internal logic that you know we tend to look at as far as how this works and how that works, that's not something that occurs to them. It's more of getting to certain points and having a basic understanding of what that is yeah. and finding things to like about those things. And so you have characters that are generally very likable, regardless of how effective you think they are. I do think everyone right, is right, likable right. in this cast, and it delivers on the spectacle that you're hoping to see. I wish it was handled better in spectacle territory mm-hmm. but i do think it's as i said it's a saturday morning cartoon now and if that's where we're at with pacific Rim movies that's unfortunate for me this is a giant step down as i've said but mm-hmm. i do think there's enough here to make it work for an audience that wants to see move, giant robots mash up each yeah. other there's better ways to do it but of course I, yeah I, and again i i would just want to recap my thoughts and basically say I'm not saying that I didn't like Pacific Rim, the first one, because it was too heavy in the themes. I just didn't like it because I didn't like it as much. And I'm not saying that I like Pacific Rim Uprising because it's so dumb that it's fun. I'm just saying that the pacing of it and the energy from it is different, but there's way a lot of problems with it. And it's either that you guys go all like what Aaron is ca- or, uh, categorizing as Saturday morning cartoon, or you go all into the themes that you were developing that have like 42 different strands. But... You know, you can't have both, and when you have both, it just feels clunky, and it does feel clunky at times. You know, again, when you're having exposition from uh, uh, Scott Eastwood or you're having exposition from um, uh, John Boyega, it just takes away from the giant action se- sequences that that I, I seemingly enjoy because they move a little bit faster now. So it's, you know, it it's, it's not a great perfect movie by any means at all just quick question along the lines since we're talking themes Mm -hmm. um who's doing the uprising (laughs) (laughs) 
I, well, I think it's the kaiju. Well, it's the kaiju. I mean, it was, it's Charlie Day and his playing his plot. That's that's what's doing the uprising. Yeah. <laughs> Although I would, I think you could all, I think you could also say that it's the, you know, it's the cadets or whatnot. You know, they're making their right, sure. You know, this... but, but the argument I just made is that it's really not the cadets because this is just the story of the cadets like assimilating into the existing military order. Right? Yeah. There's no uprising. So if it is the, the but, kaiju, yeah, it's not an uprising in terms of the use of the word uprising. Sure, like it's a it's a loose use of the term. <laughs> well, I mean, you mentioned that there's no colon in the title, so it's the Pacific Rim that's uprising, right? It's the Pacific Rim uprising, but <laughs> it's a geological shakeup, yeah, yeah, yeah which, which it, it is. It, I mean, the kaiju, if it is the kaiju, that would be in line with a lot of sci-fi sequels that credit the villains for their return, right? So like Empire Strikes Back or Independence Day Resurgence or I don't know, Revenge of the Fallen. Mm-hmm. These are all like part two titles, right? In fact, I think this movie borrows from Transformers, doesn't it? By having all the little kaiju merge into one big one. Isn't that it? Doesn't <laughs> that have some ideas that I, again, these ideas are not are not unique to Pacific Rim. Uh, so we've seen it all, especially if you watch like anime stuff, and this happens all the time in anime, yeah, right? Yeah, like, we've yeah, got to merge into like one giant one, and, like in terms of the monsters. Yeah, you get and your, so your Ultramans like, okay. and your Gundams and all the. Yeah, yeah. And it, was, it was actually really neat. I I fan moment when they when he slid in front of the Gundam statue, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, but, the audience um, actually really reacted to the Gundam. Oh, statue. really? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> cool. Because they've they've since removed that giant statue from that city but it's just like oh that was cool and i'll, I'll note this because i saw two i saw this as a fan screening along with tomb raider last week there was no applause in my tomb raider screening there was applause <laughs> in my pacific rim screening <laughs> duly noted well all right like, not a press screening a fan screening where a people fan pres- screening, pres- yeah, pres- yeah. presumably came to see this movie and were excited about it generally people applaud at movies i don't understand it nobody's there who are you applauding to but people like to applaud good on them and nobody yeah. applauded at tomb raider which is like huh that's something I didn't see coming. And then the week later, I saw this movie. He's like, okay, everybody liked this. At least they had fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you win some, you lose some. I guess so. Yeah. All right. Um, question yeah. about these Jaegers. Uh-huh. Sure. This really this really bugged me. Um, I mean, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a, a fan nerve, a geek nerve, that this tickles a little bit when they're punching each other out. And they all have, you know... Because I always suspect, I always, I always suspect they designed the toys before they work out the script, which is why they all have like different weapons. And this one has a whip, and this one has a sword, and this one has <laughs> two swords turn into a sword. <laughs> but and they they really love that one move. And it's the it's the Wolverine move where they snap their arm straight and a blade comes out like shing. You know yeah. they, that a lot. But so the question: when they're ambushed by the evil Jaeger. Mm-hmm. And it's like spraying them with missiles. Like the missiles openly hit and explode on contact. They, they're hitting the Jaegers, but they don't do any damage. But the laser swords slice right through them. So why don't they make their missiles and other projectile weapons out of that material? Because you're that's, current- uh, that's for Pacific Rim 3. <laughs> <laughs> There's another scene where the Russian girl is operating these machine guns, which don't seem to do a whole lot. Yeah, so yeah. why are you stocking up your machines with these projectile weapons that don't do anything when you have clearly this like amazing gravity technology and all these all, other all great questions that I, I really cannot answer because I think I, it just the, goes... I, the, the 
I mean, beyond the toy logic and what have you. I mean, it's not yeah. like it's not like you don't put machine guns on like jets, for instance, that still have missiles on them as well. So I like, you always use missiles because you don't always have missiles. I mean, it's like you run out of missiles. Yeah, some sometimes point. you're too close. You got to switch but to I, guns. I would also say that the caliber of the machine gun bullets that were coming out of the what that Jaeger, it's huge. They were having an effect on the kaiju because they got, the kaiju are all different, right? And especially if they're you know yeah. they, they don't know the size of them necessarily. Some of them are smaller and they are more susceptible to certain types of attacks and that's a big part of the first one as well where you have they like they analyze what what the what each of these kite where their weak spots are and things like that so it's like what what weapon is best fitted to go up against them Mm -hmm. i'm just saying there's something kind of implausible about what happens in this movie that's all i'm saying i i I know it's hard it's 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 hard to believe the other the other the other argument that i would have is that jaegers aren't in one wasn't expecting a jaeger to fight another jaeger so no, they, the missiles yeah. weren't working on the Jaeger because that's not the intended use for those missiles. I, I But to, to follow up on your your uh, observation, I also was curious as to how some of this stuff worked um, and how quickly it would work because there's the, guy, there's the one Jaeger with like the, the mace, like the ball enchanting. I was like, wait, did that just light on fire or something like that too? It's like, how does... How does some of this stuff work, and why don't they use some of this technology for for other weapons? But to be, and also, I mean, I completely agree with you about the one saw blade things. Like that should be the primary weapon for all of these things. Like, that just <laughs> that just cuts through everything. Like, everything, yeah. <laughs> um. So, the at the end, right? They they use a Jaeger as sort of a, a missile. Mm-hmm. Um. Is there at some point in this film or the earlier film that they make that the robots are run on nuclear power or something? Yeah, that's a big. Yeah, thing yeah, that, that's yeah. what the first so, one. Yeah. He established so that, that final action where they they turn the they convert the robot into a missile. Is that meant to be like a nuclear bomb at the end? Uh, I think it's just. I don't a, know. It I just think it's just like a, a giant punch. I think it's just a really powerful bomb. I think that's not a nuclear. Was, was bomb. Was it even a bomb? Okay. No, because well, I'm just blew wondering. Up. I mean, like, because oh. if it is that imagery of dropping a could have improvised nuclear bomb on Japan to save the day is like just tasteless. Yeah, actually you know. back around to liking this movie a little bit. Like, it's just awful. But oh. I was, the only concern I have is like, how are they pinpointing where this thing's going to land? It's like, it's not like that Kaiju is that, you know, on, on top of Mount Fuji. It's like, they're very, like it's they, mobile too. It's, it's a moving mo- it's a mobile it's a moving target. They're really secure on like where this kaiju is or where the kaiju is headed so they can just ditch their robot in the air and be like, yeah, this thing doesn't fly, <laughs> but it can drop to the earth at a certain speed, so it'll probably land right where we need it to, right? Hey man, he he made sure that the coordinates were locked before they exited the the, the Jaeger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not it was heat seeking. There you go. <laughs> the 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 thing speaking of of the Mount Fuji plot line. And so you mentioned that they like analyze the physiology of each kaiju and determine, you know, what, yeah, what's the best line of attack. And so like, I'm as a rule prepared to accept the absurdities of, a, of the world you're presenting, as long as you're not breaking the rules or being inconsistent. And the, the one thing that really bothered me is that they tease the idea all through the film that in order to defeat the kaiju they need to figure out what their strategy is and what they just dis- quote-unquote discover uh is that what they wanted all along was to attack mount fuji to start this chain reaction so it's not actually about the entire pacific rim it's really just about getting the kaiju into japan in which case why do we have all these battles in other cities like this one has a scene in santa monica and I'm pretty sure there was one in the first one that was 
was it Seoul or Shanghai or something? Oh, and in, yeah. in a, in a non-Japan, non-Japanese agency, I guess Seoul would be too far inland. So maybe Shanghai or Hong Kong or something. But the the it's a complete rewriting of events, and that drives me up the wall. Mike is really dis- dissecting this thing. The, yeah, so I, I kind of just figured that there's a lot of portals throughout the Pacific Rim, and now you've just learned well, why they're well, they're trying to converge onto one spot. I mean, that's clearly what we see. We see that the rifts yeah. the, the the rifts emerge in various parts of the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, I mean that's even why, that's even like mm-hmm. you have to you have to go around Japan to get to Hong Kong. So why are they? If Mount Fuji is the holy grail for them, why why are they shoring up in Sydney or L.A. or San Francisco? Clearly, their well, they their, didn't know. their rift technology is a is a is a unproven science for the precursors <laughs> as well. They're just they're getting close as they can. Which, given that space is pretty big, I guess they're doing a pretty good job if they're actually in the ocean. I don't know. Again, <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I, I find this robot smashy smashy movie a bit implausible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I mean, let me throw another one. I think <laughs> last one, last one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. I I may need a little help with this, but I seem to recall that a big part of the first film was like how much emphasis they put on the question of whether you can find someone who's drift compatible yeah. with you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there is something kind of charming and maybe conservative about the notion that that bonds between family members or bonds between romantic partners produce the best connections and and that's what produces the stakes of like losing someone in battle which is something like Abe alluded to in this film they seem to just toss all of that and there's no consideration of compatibility or anything like it's 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 it's, two people together and it's going to work it's very minimized this one they have like let's just go on this machine and see if we're drift compatible like in the for the first one you have Ringo Cucci like and uh, Charlie Hunt of like fighting each other and doing all this special preparation to see if they're actually in li- in line with each other. So yeah, and that's something I did miss out on. I do, again, I think the, again, movie... the themes are are much deeper, and, and I think that the things even... are much more explored in the first one. Yeah, yeah, it's not even thematically necessary. It's just more of like the basic, you know, machinery that makes these movies work is kind of thrown out a bit for the sake of speeding up that process. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, I I like that stuff. That's the weird stuff that I enjoyed about the first movie. If I'm not going to get you know, a hundred minutes of pure robot fighting. I'd like to think that the stuff in between that is going to be worthwhile in some way. Yeah. While I don't agree, while I don't think Charlie Hunnam in that movie because he's proven to be great in other things, um, where that movie didn't give an opportunity to do much to engage me, I did like the stuff that was going on there in the 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 Shatter Dome where they all do these Jaeger stuff. Like, I like the the My mechanical. God, how do you how do you remember these names? <laughs> Aaron has a pretty good memory about all Wait, this stuff. What, what is it called? The Shatter Dome. That's a Jaeger name. That, no, that's yep. the that's the name it's, of the uh... that's the name of the facility where all the Jaegers are. Oh, where the Jaeger yeah, it, it's where Tina Turner has a song, and so you know that's where. Oh, they... right, right, right. Yeah. Tina Gibson. <laughs> um, wait, so can, I mean, can we talk about these names? What's the one of the, the main one that the carryover from the? Well, the well, first, not, in the first in the first film in the first similar. in the first film it was Gypsy Danger, and there's a right. new, the new the, the new model is called Gypsy Avenger. Avenger. What does that right. fucking even mean? These are just nouns. Yeah, just, that's how they that's how they do just, things. They're just random mad lip nouns. Just name them whatever you want. Striker, Thundercock. You know. Good, goodwill which, hunting. Which is why I found it funny when when uh, Kaylee, the actress, is is walking around and just naming all these these giant robots, and I'm just like, I'm not going to remember any of these. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just. Yeah. I remember Gypsy Danger and Obsidian Fury. 
Those are cool names. That's, yeah, Obsidian Fury is the bad robot, right? Yeah, yeah. bad robot. There you go. All I think, right. I think we've sufficiently we, talked we've about the uprising. Sufficiently talked about it. Uh, when, when, when is John Boyega going to play a young Denzel Washington? Um, that's a good question. That should be a no, everybody. He's really striking. The resemblance is striking, although I've noted that uh, John Boyega, to me, where Ch- I think Chadwick Boseman is going for the Denzel Washington career, where John Boyega mm-hmm. is going for the Will Smith career. Interesting. That is interesting. As far as the younger generation and what we're, I mean, people talking about, like, who's the next Cary Grant or whatever. It's like, who's the next Denzel Washington? I think, yeah. I think Chadwick Boseman's on a pretty good track right there. And I think John, John Boyega, given the choices he's making, and he's very charismatic. He is very charismatic. Pretty, uh, pretty yeah. similar line to Will Smith right now. But regardless. Good job, Finn. When should people go and see this movie? Uh, I think this is something that you can, you can um, rent. Or, I'm sorry, Netflix. You can Netflix this. It's higher than a rental. Mike? Um, whenever you like, just I wouldn't see it sober. <laughs> All right. Get that bodily Jaeger and, you know, go to town. No, I'd, I'd skip the theater, but, you know, people have such sophisticated home theater systems now anyway, so yeah. watch it on, on your on your big-ass TV, you'll be fine. This is a, this is a good uh, dollar theater entry for me, if you, you, you want to go that high. Um yeah. I, yeah. All right. All right. That's Pacific Rim Uprising. Let's move on. Let's get to our. Uh, let's get to our. Fe- our excuse me. Let's get to our feedback. <laughs> feedback. 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 This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page. Ugh. This is where we go over the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash/outnowpodcast, where we ask a number of questions to the listeners, and they give us answers. Then they gave us some questions that we have some answers for. We got another round of terrific feedback this week. Yeah, we did. We got a lot. Thank of you feedback. for that, listeners. Yeah, glad it's. We uh, always love this. Glad this is sticking up. Yeah, Mike, feel free to answer uh, uh, as well. So first question is, what are your favorite films featuring multiple robots? Uh, Michi writes Transformers versus Pacific Rim. Um, if a man can dream, I guess. <laughs> uh, Paci- or, I was going to say Pacific Rim. Patrick writes iRobot or any other movie that isn't Phantom Menace. Philip has Pacific Rim, of course, also Real Steel and The World's End. The, the World's End was a great call. Uh-huh. Um, That's a good answer. Chris has easy Pacific Rim, uh, full-on robotic awesomeness. Justin has Wally or the movie Robots, uh, yes. the robots with like uh, was that um, Pixar? Who nope. made that one? No, it's not Disney. Pixar. That's it was, DreamWorks, it was, isn't it? It was Fox. Fox. It's a Blue okay. Sky film starring Ewan yeah. McGregor. That's, that's <laughs> the first time robots has been mentioned since two thousand five. But other than like you and Scott mentioning it. I specifically um, don't mention robots. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Tammy writes Short Circuit and Real Steel. Dennis also writes Real Steel. Mike has Pacific Rim. Jay uh, has Wally. And lastly, John has Ex Machina. There's another good answer. Yeah. And to be clear, John put a gif of Oscar Isaac dancing with the robot. So there you go. Which is one of our favorite scenes of all time. I mean, that's just a great scene. A lot yeah. of Real Steel love. I remember liking Real Steel. I have not seen it since like we it saw too. it, but I remember we, we talked about it on the that, show, and we liked that's it. That's actually the, the movie that I thought of when I was watching this between the characters of John Boyega and uh, what's-her-face, Kaylee. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was like, oh, this relationship of, of Real Steel is coming through here. Well, yeah. I remember I was talking about like the great cinematography in Real Steel as well. There's some good stuff in there. Yeah. Mike, you have any favorite movies with uh, multiple robots? Uh, Cherry 2000? I don't know. I'm trying to... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. There you go. There's a deep cut for you. Yeah. 
Uh, I'll plug, by the way, I wrote a whole list on We Live Entertainment of, uh, uh, what was it, uh, 13 Great Giant Robot Movies. Mm, okay. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, what else here? Next question. Favorite films involving teams of cadets or younger generations working together for an important mission? Uh, Philip writes Only the Brave, which I've still not seen yet, but I really want to. Heard a lot of great things about it. Hmm. The firefighter movie from last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Renee has Goonies. Adam Gentry, friend of the show, writes Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Scooter writes Starship Troopers. Kevin writes Police Academy Citizen on Patrol. <laughs> Brandon has X-Men First Class. Uh, Chris has I Have to Jump on the Star Wars Starship Troopers bandwagon. Uh, Justin has Band, Band of the Hand. And uh, Mike has uh, NPH, Harold, and Kumar. <laughs> That's a good call on the uh, X-Men First Class. I like that one. That's a good answer. Yeah. Starship Troopers is a great answer. If someone's going Goonies, though, then I'm going to throw in Monster Squad. Monster Squad. There we there go. go. Mm-hmm. Uh, next question is, what would you like to see more or less of in sequels? Uh, friend of the show, Adam writes, I'd like to see less sequels in sequels. Um, Dennis writes, ditto. Enough with movies with an immediate sequel setup. Uh, Mike has less after the credits waiting for another scene stuff. Uh, more true sequels and less original stories when they can't think of a good sequel. Chris has loving the Starship Trooper love this week. We need Fast and Furious to go to space, which Aaron and I have talked about. Uh, put some NOS in those spaceships. They could f- uh, fight alien butt too. Justin has, I would like to see a, a better timeline in sequels. Some have no faith to the first uh, other than mentions. One thing I loved about Back to the Future is that they start right uh, from the last one and stay faithful to the timeline. And lastly, or I'm sorry, penultimately, Stephen has more over-the-top action like Starship Troopers, number one, and lastly, Philip has standalone stories. Hmm. Does that mean, like, more films in the Pacific Rim universe? But I'm curious. Is that related to each other? I mean, it's not, I don't think he's specifically referring to Pacific Rim because it's just a yeah. basic question about just sequels. But Other sequels. But but in the context of this conversation, that's what I, I feel. I probably more along the lines of like Rogue I, I'm one. thinking like yeah exactly exactly Rogue One or Star Wars yeah. where it's like same universe. So things but that other, are more spinoffs than spin sequels, as I guess. Yeah. So all right. Our next question here is a uh, favorite films about saving the world that realistically feature an international cast. Justin writes, "What about Live Die Repeat?" I countered him. I said, well, it's, not, it's a lot of white people in that movie. <laughs> uh, Mike has, can Guardians of the Galaxy count? Sure. Uh, Renee writes, the core. Great pick. Uh, Philip writes, Return of the King. I got different species, bruh. <laughs> Chris writes, sorry, but Pacific Rim again. Even the Jaegers were international. That's uh, true. George writes, Sunshine. Also, Mortal Kombat. Mm. Alessandro, that movie is surprisingly diverse, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Alessandro writes Life. Another good answer. Uh, Michi writes Independence Day. And Nathan writes Inglorious Bastards. Can't really argue with any of those. Yeah, no, it gets to the point. Yeah. Anything from you, Mike? Inglorious Bastards is racially diverse? Is it? In- international cast. I know. International cast, yeah. Uh, it's very yeah. Eurocentric, though. But they want those scalps. Great, great movie, but... I don't often see big Hollywood movies that feature English as, like, the third most spoken language, if not fourth. <laughs> <laughs> How's that going for it? 
Yeah. Some of those are good picks, though. I, I'm a big fan of Sunshine. I think it falls apart at the end, but that's, that's a good one. That's the one with Killian Murphy? Killian, yeah. Yeah, okay. Captain Lots America and Michelle Yeoh. And... Captain America, I like that. There's a bunch of people in Sunshine. Yeah, great score. It is a great score. They use it a lot yeah. in other movies. They do, yeah. <laughs> uh, that Adagio in G, or in D. Uh-huh. Um, well, okay. anyway, next question. Uh, favorite films about characters questioning their sanity, and this is in relation to Unsane. Um, Evelyn writes Gaslight with Angela Lansbury and Ingrid, Ber- and Ingrid Bergman. Uh, Renee writes an unknown documentary about Trump? Question mark. George has my life. Wait for laughter. Please clap. <laughs> Gary has thanks for the clap. <laughs> uh, Gary has Elizabeth Taylor in Suddenly Last Summer. Friend of the show Michael at Shutter Island. Chris writes not necessarily my favorite, but Antichrist had the most impact when I was watching it. Justin has The Mouth of Madness. Philip has Take Shelter. Manish has The Lady Vanishes. Renee also adds the number twenty three. And lastly, Mike writes Vanilla Sky. I, I'm a big Vanilla Sky fan. Um, take Shelter is a great answer. That That is a good answer to this question about questioning your yeah. sanity. Um, I'll throw in, because why not, uh, John Frankenheimer's Seconds. Mm. Okay. I'll throw in Otto Preminger's Bunny Lake is Missing. Ah, all right. Okay. And I'll throw in John Cusack's Identity, which has <laughs> one of the worst ending lines I've ever seen her or heard in a movie. Ever. I like I like that ending. Said by a kid. <laughs> I, I like that ending. I, I, I remember the ending and I love it, but I don't remember the line. It's whores it? don't get second chances. Yeah, it's a great line. Because it's it's said by like an eleven year old. Yeah, that's why it's great. <laughs> That's well, great because it adds up to what that twist of that movie, like that. Right, you forget like, that it, it's a character in in the movie. Is Identity's such like a bug fuck crazy movie as far as what it's doing, <laughs> but I I'm so into like it's what it's trying to do. I'm so, like every, yeah. it works for me. <laughs> <laughs> but real line from a real movie, folks. I I didn't just say that because I just like to casually throw out those words. <laughs> Next question we have here: uh, favorite films about dogs. Uh, John has Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> sure. Chris has uh, there is a dog in that movie. Chris has a uh, Cujo, Frankenweenie, or Turner and Hooch. Oh, and nearly forgot White God was good. Uh, Justin has Old Yeller. Mike has Underdog or Secret Life of Pets. Philip Underdog, by the way, features Peter Dinklage as a little scientist who's evil. Um, <laughs> not not kidding. Uh, Philip has Barking Dogs Never Bite. Tammy has Turner and Hooch. Renee has I Am Legend, and Michael has Homeward Bound, the 1993 mm. version. Any favorite movies about dogs? Fluke. Fluke? With Matthew Fluke. Modine? Yeah. <laughs> Nancy Allen. Sure. That's a movie. I like Homeward Bound just because uh, Matthew Fox, Michael J. Fox. Uh, Shadow! Yeah. <laughs> Chance! Mine is best in show, easily. Best <laughs> <laughs> Two left feet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, next question. What is your favorite Wes Anderson cast member or character from his films in relation to Isle of Dogs? Philip has Bill Murray for cast member, Royal Tenenbaums for character. Um, Mike has, I'm so stoked for this movie. Uh, Lastly, Chris <laughs> has George Clooney as Mr. Fox and Bill Murray. Bill Murray is definitely one of his go-tos in all of Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, almost every one of them, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're gonna do the, we can address more of this again when we do our Isle of Dogs. When we do our Isle of Dogs, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's gonna be definitely a standalone. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let's get to our questions. And we have one question, which I am happy to get into. It's it's an interesting question because it's yeah yeah. Uh, it's from friend of the show, past and future guest Luke Thompson. He asks, "What is that controversial fellow Scott Mendelson doing? Just why is he so controversial?" Um, so this is in relation to an article that Scott posted this week. Scott's of course been on the show many times. Uh, yeah, he's a regular guest on the show. Uh, he writes box office posts relating to kind of how the how how the industry is functioning or what have you. And and mm-hmm. since Black Panther opened back in February, he's been writing about Black Panther pretty much every single day. Um, as far as basically how how positive it is for the movie to have done so well in its box office run. Um, he posted an article this week about where the headline. Let me see if I can have it right here. Actually. It's uh, Do you have it? Black Panther has become Hollywood's worst nightmare. Yeah. Um, so, in taking that headline, um, a site, The Root, um, took the saw this article, saw the headline, and wrote an article about a white writer discussing a, a white writer basically portraying it as if Scott was against Black Panther because of that headline, mm-hmm. um, which led to. Lots of other comments and lots of Scott, who's a friend of ours, uh, def- having to defend himself. Um, and on Twitter. Yeah. yeah, on Twitter. And it speaks to another issue, which is people that kind of react and have outrage over things that are, you know, non-issues. Uh, what I'm speaking to is the fact that Scott's written articles like this for lots of other movies that have been super successful, not just Black Panther, uh, that have this exact kind of, you know, reading to it as far as a, using the word nightmare or a problem for the rest of the industry. And I can see, I guess, where an issue would come from if you were, you know, willfully ignorant to Scott's writing, <laughs> which is seems to be what the case is. But Scott very much liked Black Panther, and he's been celebrating the film for the past month as far as this goes. And now you have one headline that reads a certain way, and then further analysis of the article where there's certain language used, mainly in jest, because Scott has a sense of humor in his writing, <laughs> to turning that against him. And there's nothing controversial about any of this if you just are familiar with you know things like context or <laughs> just basic reading under, under basic reading comprehension um, if you're a thinking person if you're a thinking person essentially yes but because we're in a culture that examines headlines and reacts to those first and reads later you get people like this that <laughs> respond well, what's, what's the premise of his article what, so, why is it a nightmare uh because it's it has to do with kind of the when we're releasing certain tentpole movies, how other movies respond because of that, such as having Black Panther come out in March and having movies like Wrinkle in Time or Tomb Raider. Not that they're necessarily going to become big blockbusters, but because you have one movie that's currently dominating the box office, it's being it's becoming a, a, a it's be, it can become an issue for other movies that could potentially break out, but don't because of it. Um, especially when they're movies that have other people of color or female action stars or what have you in the lead, it's not giving them a chance to shine either because of one movie taking over things. Um, so Black and, Panther is bulldozing through everything. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. I mean, the, there's, the, there's more to it than that. But I mean, yeah. I mean, essentially Scott's article is is uh, stating that Halick, um, and it's something we've, we've all acknowledged for a while now, everyone who watches movies for like the past 10, 15 years uh, is definitely aware that movies are being released all throughout the year now, not not just like in the summertime. They're like se, the big, specifically big blockbuster, tent big movies, blockbuster, yes. yeah, movies. So, like, I don't know that much about it. I just saw the root article, and I thought that the, I, I saw the root article before I saw this question, 
And then I was like, oh, because uh, I, I, I remember uh, reading the, the headline of it is like Forbes author. And I was like, I bet you it's Scott. Yep. And it was. <laughs> and I was like, oh, what's Scott gotten himself into this time? So I, I understand where both of these are coming from, like both their uh, both their points of view are, are coming from, whether that be Scott or whether that be the article of The Root, uh, which is Monique Judge. It's just more of I first of all, I think that people definitely need to um Scott is a writer. Scott gets uh, the more clicks that Scott gets. I'm not saying that he's a clickbait artist. He also needs to make a living, right? So, um, if you read his article, then great. If you don't read his article and you just read the headline, then that's a part of a problem that has become a little bit more prevalent. Just not for movie releases, but in our current uh, our current environment. Anyway, yeah, everyone just loves reading headlines and not reading the actual article, which is why everything just starts becoming quote unquote clickbaity. With all that being said, though, Scott's argument was just that it, it's kind of difficult for other movies to um, other movies that are also, quote unquote, tentpole movies or just large event movies to um, make money as well. Uh, so I think that there's just a mis- misunderstanding from what Scott was writing and from what this author uh, uh, kind of took away from the article. So Scott has has since changed the title of his article um to Black Panther has become Hollywood's worst nightmare. It's been slightly altered, yes. It let the. Oh, I'm sorry. It, it, that's still the same article headline. It's it's been changed to should terrify everyone, every Hollywood studio. It's just what gets. It's mainly because like we're very aware of who Scott is. He's a, he's a, he's a friend of our show, and it's like sure, he's, yeah. he's getting attacked for things that don't make sense to me, as far as you know, being called racist or being called what have you, as if he's putting the movie that he's championed himself in the negative. Because a person wrote an article that seems to come from a place where I've never written, I've never read anything this person read before, but I saw this headline, and so I need to write my own article about the headline, uh, and that's problematic for a number of reasons. So that's why I wanted to point it out. He has been on the show, and and he certainly has a a point of view that is uh, sometimes um, oddly funny and oddly sarcastic. But you know, like. Just read an article is where I'm coming from. Not to say that, you know, Monique is wrong or the cases. Just in general, if you're going to be reading something, just read past the headline, read the article, come to your own conclusion. That's just a good rule of thumb for anything. So thanks for the question, Luke. So that's enough feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Let's, uh, let's move. Jesus, it's been a while. Let's move on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, let's get to, uh, what is, what, what do we got going here? Aaron, I think it's uh, time for a quick game here. Let her know, in fact, that's actually the song that plays when you have to evacuate Tokyo. <laughs> so Yeah, that's that's what we got. Yeah. Hey, do you have uh, a game I've got a quick game for you guys. Yeah, it's called Hodgepodge colon Monsters and Machines, where I will uh, I will give you guys a trivia question. And if you know the answer, whether that be the name of a monster, a name of a machine, or a name of a movie involving a monster or a giant machine, um, <laughs> then buzz in with your name and uh, give me the answer. Does that make sense? So you're going to ask us trivia questions, and we're going to buzz in with what we think is the answer? Yes. I don't have a cool little bell to ring. Just say um, you say your name. <laughs> I was like, you can just uh, sing your name, but you can just say it too. Either works. I'll accept all right, first one here. In order to steal all the air from planet Druidia, the bad guys must turn their ship into this form. So, what, Buzz Buzz? What do I say? Say your yeah, name. Yeah, yeah, Mike. Mike. Yeah. 
Is it? It's Spaceballs. What is, is the it, but it's form like a, that the ship turns it's into? Like a, Aaron. It's like a cleaning lady. No. Aaron. <laughs> it's Mega Maid. Mega Maid is correct. Uh, you win. <laughs> Next one here. This Norwegian blockbuster mockumentary film from 2010 envisions Mike. these. Mike. Trolls. Or Troll Hunter, sorry. Troll Hunter is correct. Trolls is the Justin Timberlake movie. Um, next one here. These giant mutant hunting robots are what you would fight in simulations in the danger room. Aaron. Aaron. Sentinels. Sentinels is correct. Next one here. What's the, wait, wait, what's that from? X-Men Days of Future X-Men. Past. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have gotten that. Mm-hmm. Next one here. The creatures in this movie speak in circular style. It might take you a bit to understand them, but once you oh, do... My... Is it... Mike. I don't know what they're called, but from Arrival? The Arrival is correct. From this movie, yeah. Heptapods. Are we blurring aliens and giant monsters a little bit? That's uh, that's the name of the game. <laughs> <laughs> um, here I... we... After escaping from a I'll U.S. Air that sounds Force... that sounds specious, Dave. You're calling aliens <laughs> giant monsters? Either or. <laughs> uh, after escaping, then you'll from be a... calling them kaiju's, you anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, next one. After escaping from a U.S. Air Force train wreck, this giant monster in this movie looks to escape Earth by building his spaceship underneath Aaron. The t- you know, Aaron. Super Eight. Super Eight is correct. Next one here. Mutos wreak havoc in 2014's Godzilla. What does Mutos stand for? Ooh. Hold on. <laughs> okay. Um, no internet searching. No, it's... Okay, Aaron. Aaron. Is it massive, unidentified, terrestrial object? So close. I Life was going to guess... Well, I was just going to guess that the only difference is that O is organism. Can you say the whole thing? Oh, uh, mass, well, massive, unidentified terrestrial organism. That is correct. Okay. Organism. I think we should split the, the points for that one. <laughs> no, nope, can't split it. <laughs> Next one here. This kid's TV show became so popular it had its own 1995 movie featuring antagonists such as Lord Zed, Goldar. Aaron. Aaron. The Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? That is correct. Next one here. The human protagonist in the Iron Giant is named what? Aaron. Aaron. Hogarth Hughes. That is correct. Oh <laughs> I my love his God. name. Yeah. Uh, next one here. Instead of clearing his mind, Dr. Ray Stance chooses this giant creature to destroy Earth. Oh, Mike. Mike. It's the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. That is correct. Next one here. This ghost of the most is deathly afraid of these creatures. Why are we at ghosts now? <laughs> Aaron. No, no, Aaron. Neither gigantic. Oh, sandworms. Yes, geez. <laughs> ghosts. Well, I mean, right. <laughs> he started off this ghost with the most. <laughs> is deathly afraid of these creatures. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one here. Last one here, actually. Uh, Gerard Butler, Christian Bell, and Matthew McConaughey. Do battle with the dragons and this <laughs> walk into a bar. Like. <laughs> oh, Mike. Mike. Aaron, go. It's is it Rain of Fire? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Uh, I remember Butler in that movie. Yeah, it's a small. I mean, it's before he was bigger than he is now. So. Yeah. Aaron, you won that game by a hair, six to five. So congratulations so to you both for scoring pretty well. I'm glad I didn't lose on the dragon movie. 
<laughs> Sorry, the bad dragon movie. Um, it's Future London 2020. <laughs> talking about a movie that doesn't deliver on its promises. That's one right there. <laughs> <laughs> seeing giant monsters, or seeing giant dragons that are breathing fire at you? Well, the whole, the whole movie takes place after the big dragon war. It's like, I kind of wanted to see the movie about the dragon war in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, what can I say, man? No, it's your um, it's your fault. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Thanks for that game, Abe. You're welcome. Let's move on. Let's get to out now. What's out now? These are things that are coming out on Blu-ray or DVD this week, and we got quite a few things here. First up is Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Yeah, go see it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. By Mr. the way, mm-hmm. I, I want to add quickly that the, all the deleted scenes that have been that I've been seeing online recently make the movie better. I haven't watched them yet, but I'm, I'm, okay. I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure they're good scenes. I just they I, I understand why they're probably redundant or yeah, yeah, yeah. or, or drag the pacing down. Regardless, what else? Mr. Robot season 3.0. I've heard good things. I haven't kept up with it. Yeah, I like Mr. Robot. I enjoy it. Uh, Legion season one on Blu-ray this week. I'm a big fan of Legion. Like if you want Is to talk... that the one with Dan the... Stevens? Okay, yeah, 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 I've heard great things. Yeah. That, that's that's the, like of the superhero TV shows that are on. That's the one that I. That's the pick of choice for me right there. Legion's mm-hmm. and Legion's good, better than all the Netflix things. Um, let's see, Acts of Violence. This is some direct video Bruce Willis Cole Hauser movie. I'm glad that Cole Hauser's still getting work. And Bruce Willis is still not caring. Um, let's see, <laughs> The Last Movie Star with Burt Reynolds. Uh, uh, yep, that's I've out. Heard... That's that's out on on streaming. It's out on Blu-ray this week. Oh, I thought it was gonna be a. Um, it's in theaters also. A theater release, yeah. It's on one so. screen. But, okay, uh, all right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Last Man in Aleppo. This was an Oscar-nominated documentary oh, that yeah, came yeah. out. It's super yeah. funny. That's for sure. That's not <laughs> true at all. <laughs> um, let's see. Robot Chicken Walking Dead special. Okay. If you like the Robot Chicken specials, it's a funny one. If you like the show, Walking, it helps if you like Walking Dead, because obviously there's context. Um, on Criterion this week, King of Jazz and Women in Love, for Criterion Collection fans. Okay. Um, on Scream Factor this week, this is a good one, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Um, this is a solid like mockumentary what, slasher film. What was the film. name of that again? Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Okay. It is a... That's a must-see for any slasher fans. Yeah, it's a really clever take on, on slasher films. Like It's indebted to the slasher film genre. And it's done in mockumentary style, but it's very clever. Um, it came out in like 2007, and it just somehow did not like find the audience it did in, the- in theaters. But like, it's got a bit of a cult reputation now, and it's a good movie, so it's certainly one to check out. Um, I feel so behind listening to you rattle off these titles. I mean, I've seen <laughs> Leslie Vernon, but I don't mm-hmm. all the new ones that are coming out. I've I don't know any of this. Okay, but here's some older stuff oh, for you. Star, I mean, yeah, I've seen Star Wars. Here's I hear John Boyega has an American accent in it. But... <laughs> General accent, right? Here's basic a, accent. Basic. Yeah. Basic, basic. Here's here's an older one for you. The Outer Limits season one on Blu-ray this week. Ooh, spooky. Um, let's see. Also out, Batman and Mister Freeze Sub Zero. That's the uh, another animated full-length feature, right? Yeah, not as good as the Mask of the Phantasm, right. but it does. Yeah. It's it's there now. It's on Blu-ray, and the all the Mister Freeze animated episodes are also in that Blu-ray. Uh, one of them won a uh, an yeah. Emmy. Mm-hmm. Uh, only in standard def, though, which is annoying. Mm. Uh, let's see, 
on Arrow this week. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's an interesting movie. It's a movie. It's really... Yeah. <laughs> I believe friend of the show Mark Hoban's a big fan of Killer Clowns from Outer Space, actually. <laughs> I um, mean, just, just the idea of them coming in through your toilet is, is scary enough alone. It is, very much so. Um, last week, I believe I said the passion of the Joan of, of Joan of Arc was on Criterion. This week, the uh, Bergman version, Joan of Arc, on is on Kino on Blu-ray this week. So if you're, hmm. if, you're, if, you're if you're collecting all the Joan of Arc Blu-rays, here's another one for you. Yeah, we talked about the uh, yeah. cinematography in that one. Joan of Arc completists out yeah, there. Yeah, Joan of Arc completists. Yeah. yeah. Bill, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Joan of Arc, and the Passion of Joan of Arc, and and, uh, maybe, the, and then and, you've got to get the Lee Sobieski yeah, one. The, no, the Mila Jovovich one. Oh. The Luke Besson one. Um. And lastly, Sandlot, 25th anniversary edition, out on Blu-ray. Yeah, go see it. So there you go. That's what's out now. Let's move on now. Let's get to Extremely Cool. These are things that are coming out on Netflix. Netflix is, like, every week. There's, like, tons of stuff. (laughs) It's ridiculous right now. It is. And, uh, again, we're going to have, I think we're going to have a a discussion about Netflix uh, in a special episode sometime later. There's there's so many things. But, uh, okay, let's see. First up, we have Game Over Man. Which, Which is... It's like the cast of Workaholics made a movie? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, Santa Clarita Diet Season 2. This is with Tilby, Timothy Olyphant and Drew Barrymore. I've heard mixed things. I... After the... If you can make it past the first two episodes, it becomes a really clever show. That's okay. what I said. And they're all half hour. So, you know, the best kind of TV show in my opinion. <laughs> it's that easy. Uh, there's a show called On My Block that's now on Netflix that I've heard a lot of good things about. Um, another, like, half hour dramedy um, said like a said in the urban scene, uh, mm-hmm. and also a movie called Roxanne. Roxanne is now on Netflix as well. I've heard good things. Yeah, I've heard good things about that one. Um, it's got a lot of people. It's got like like it's another one from because uh, Pharrell and Forrest Whitaker produced it. Like they produced Dope together. I think it's, it's another one of their projects yeah. that they've done together. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so I, I am interested to see where that's going, and that's extremely cool. Next week's show. Next week we'll be talking Ready Player One. Um. Yep, that's the plan there, and I'm <laughs> excited for that because it's Spielberg. So why would I not be? Um, I figured any of you could chime in, but you're not going to apparently. So, okay. No, I thought you were going to say, and uh, and that, that's gonna, I thought you were going to go into wrap up mode. <laughs> I am in wrap up mode. If you if you're chiming in, this is the time to do it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Next, we're talking Ready Player One. Okay, there I'm we gonna, go. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm I'm saving my thoughts. Okay. Um, <laughs> Last thing we do here, what should people see in theaters right now, and what are you planning to see next? Mike, what should people see in theaters right now? Death of Stalin. There you go. See it, see it a second time. <laughs> what are you seeing next? What am I seeing next? Yeah. Uh, ooh. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Rampage. There you go. <laughs> There you go. Don't say this, and then be then when I invite you to be on the Rampage podcast, <laughs> be super upset about it. Something about this yeah. movie is illogical, you guys. <laughs> Abe, what, what should you people see? Them out. Yeah. I uh, I'm gonna go see, or I recommend seeing Isle of Dogs, even though I haven't seen it yet. And I'm gonna go see next Isle of Dogs and Ready Player One. Uh, yeah, I would. I, if you could see Isle of Dogs, you should see that. Um, Thoroughbreds is really good that's right and yeah. i recommend it and the death of stalin yep. is Second. yep and the death of stalin really good and all right see it. and next i am seeing ready player one in like 24 hours i'll have seen ready player one so i got that going for lucky me. you oh i'm sorry i actually i have plans to go see um 
A Quiet Place, which I'm quite Ooh. excited about. Yeah. Uh, I, I am also seeing that this, this week, actually. Yeah. All right. We should compare notes. All right. Well, with all that said, that's going to do it for this week's episode about Now with Aaron and A. But you can find more of my work in my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. You can find my written movie reviews over at lysoblue.com and We Live Entertainment. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4, Abe. You can find me on Instagram at Oakley Doakley and on Twitter, twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag representation matters. Thanks a lot, Max Zang. Uh, let's see. Mike, Dylan. Yeah. Anything you want to plug? Nah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, let's see. I'm very proud that we were able to make an episode longer than Pacific Rim Rise Uprising. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the first thoughts that I had, too. <laughs> you can find all the other episodes that are sometimes shorter at iTunes as well as on Audioboom. Listen to our old stuff over at HXWLD, SoundCloud, or Podomatic. Uh, feel free to email us any thoughts you may have had on the show this week at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. You can also write on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash podcast, or tweet us at twitter.com slash Outnow underscore podcast. And be sure to send us plenty of gifts of robots doing crazy things over at outnowpodcast.tumblr.com. And if there's do any... we still have that page? Yes, we do. Okay, all right. I even retweeted something on it the other day. I, I know. So I, I, we usually like have like our posts on there too. So I'm just yeah. All the yeah. all the all the episodes go to that page. Yeah. So I don't know how people t- consume this show, so I just give them all the <laughs> options. Mike, thank you very much for joining thank us. Thank you, today. Mike. Yep. See you at the next one. Good questions about why robots don't make sense. <laughs> But, so. but yeah, no, good good times for sure. Looking forward to next week's show. Until then, so long. And goodbye. you Aaron? um i don't know maybe like a really big iron <laughs>